Well, Heidi Ho, Naperinos. It's uh, the stress for lunch. The host, but a little back from uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, lip surgery there. Um, good to see everybody. Uh, thank you all for the kind words. Uh, this uh, is not looking as bad as I thought it would be, to be perfectly honest with you. So I've got that uh, true tale of adventure to tell you. Uh, and um, geez, I don't know. Oh, the hair. Final. Brush my freaking hair. God. Thanks, Mom. Yeah. Should have a comb. A comb and some Vitalis. I need some Vitalis. Um, all right. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, it's good to be here, uh, everyone. Thank you. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> So many comments. Who was that? Uh, Lord Sanks said I wanted to cover his lip with his hair. Uh, no, it uh, actually went really well. Um, for those of you who've been uh, playing along with the home game, uh, I have postponed it four times. I was supposed to do it in November, I think. Had a little bit of uh, basal cell uh, activity here. As I wrote on the Facebook post, you know, those... Um, those miserable low-life ungrateful cells there they are in public famous recognized <sighs> not good enough for them so they couldn't just sit there and on their own they had to start convincing all the other cells around them to join the team and it's like having a bunch of progressives on your face so I had them um, escorted from the premises uh, so uh, yeah it got postponed four times finally I went in and um, and I, I was not the slightest bit worried about the uh, procedure. Uh, I um, I laid down, which is easier than having him do it standing up. They gave me the uh, shot of, I guess it was lidocaine. It stings a little bit, just for a moment. It's, I, I found it was less annoying than getting Novocaine at a dentist, so, so that. Um, uh, let's see. So I'm uh, just basically lying back, uh, grooving, and uh, it basically uh, just felt like somebody was scratching at my lip. Um, Bill looks like he has a scraggy mustache. I, I have a I have a scraggly, lippy kind of thing because I didn't shave today because it's a little sensitive. Uh, I was never, have never been, I seem incapable of being a mustache guy. I just, it's just not there. My friend Fritz could grow a, you know, grow like a full beard in seven hours. I was reduced to eyebrow pencil when I was a teenager. That's how pathetic it was. Uh, anyway, um, so, uh, yeah, so, uh, so I'm lying down there and um, just minding my own business. Everything was pretty cool. Uh, I really could not um, tell you how long I was there all I remember is I'm lying down. Somebody's got a little piece of gauze here, you know. I sit there and the guy says, okay, uh, looks like we got it. We're going to go check, make sure we got all of it. And I said, can I see that? And they don't often get requests like that. Uh, I don't know why. I'm just curious. I'm curious about pretty much everything. So I said, you sure you want to see it? I said, sure. I, for those of you, again, who've been playing with the home game, when I had a much bigger piece of my back taken out, that was like a piece of sushi. This thing is about the size of my thumb tip real red like 
solidly red. So I just leaned back there and waited, and um, and I, I I don't have any idea how long he was gone. It was probably about 15, 20 minutes. I said, uh, we get it all? He said, almost, almost. A little more scratchy, 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 scratchy. Uh, and then um, he disappeared again, another 20 minutes. He said, yep, you're good to go, my boy. And... Uh, and he said, "Okay, let's um, let's uh, let's get him sewn up." And honest to God, as I'm eighty percent through this total time in the procedure, and uh, and that's the first time I heard "sewn up." I, I said, "You're gonna do what now? Gonna, we're gonna stitch you up." I didn't know I'd get stitched up. So, oh yeah, um, they were basal cells. They were uh, they were I guess they're malignant. I don't know. They're they're no longer here. Uh, you can contact them through my attorney. Um, so, next thing you know, you, you can feel, just barely feel a little bit of pressure. And then th the next thing I know, I'm done, and, and this giant crater that I've been bragging about for, that I thought was going to be on my face for two months until it finally just healed out. Nope. The when I had the stitches removed a couple days ago, on Monday, uh, the nurse who removed the stitches said, uh, "Now this guy's really, really good. He he left like a kind of a little flap, and then he was able to close that up. So there's like a, can I see it here? Like a vertical cut here, and then a horizontal one across the lips like that. Okay, so um, they're wrapping up, and I." being my typical smart-ass self, you know, I want all of you to know that I've uh, put you all in for the Nobel Prize for Medicine. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, that was it. That was it. I, um, I got, uh, I, I, I did not take, and this was true for the back too, I did not take so much as an aspirin. When the, when the lidocaine wore off, I didn't even, I just didn't feel anything. So, um, that's, uh, let me just tilt this down a little bit. It's bothering me. I, you know, the rule of thirds is important. That's a little better. Um, so, I keep going through these uh, uh, true tales of courage and adventure. Um, mostly because several times in the past, twice now I think at least, I've had a number of people write me and say, you know, uh, hearing you talk about this, finally convinced me to go and get it looked at, whatever it happened to be, in a couple cases, at least in one I know very well, uh, claimed to have saved his life, which is a heck of a thing to say. So, uh, for those of you out there who um, have, uh, you know, sus suspicious things that you are a little bit worried about, but you decide is either going to go away or get better, maybe they will go away. If they haven't gone away for a while, it's probably time to go get it looked at. And, um, you know, we live in an age of miracles, and, and it's things like this that allow you to really genuinely get up and appreciate that. Uh, you know, when, when I was a boy, you know, you said the C word, it was pretty much a death sentence anywhere. If you asked me, have you ever had cancer, I would immediately say no, because I just don't count this stuff. I just don't. Um, John Pershing says, listen to the wise Bill, and having just come from a hospice, tell the people you love how you feel while you can. Yes, that's always, that's always a good idea. Oh, uh, and Lady Hawks is, um, 
my melanoma showed up in a photo as a black spot on my arm. Okay, so look, th th these things just happen. And, uh, and I, uh, I'm just here to do whatever I can to tell you that it is, it is much, much, much less stressful and much, much less painful to go and do something about it than to worry about it for the rest of your life. And to me, I've said this before too, of course I've said everything before, to, including that. Uh, I, could, I, I, don't, I can imagine a world where I die of some disease. That's probably how it's going to go, given how uh, safe and secure life is, thanks to the patriots that went out and died so the rest of us didn't have to. Um, but that, that would be what it would be. The one thing I could not deal with would be being told that I was going to uh, going to perish from a disease that I had known I'd had, and if I had done something about it when I had a chance to, I'd be fine. That to me is a, a, a just an unbearable nightmare. So um, so just do it. It's it's a non-event really. Everybody's got this huge thing in there. Oh, a doctor, surgery. You know, I don't know. What if it comes back positive? And it's like, what if it does? You know. So what? What if it does? Um, now the comment section is talking about me dying of monkeypox in a rather objective way. I might point out, not with a whole lot of sympathy or love. There, most, mostly like you know, like your carburetor failed or something. I'm not going to die of monkeypox. I don't, I'm not afraid of monkeypox. I'm not afraid of germs at all. Actually, really, have it. And um, so anyway, uh, like I said, just just do it. I I know I I know this is going to sound weird. But virtually everything I said sounds weird. I don't want to say it was fun, but it was kind of cool. Um, and again, I, I just, just you know, I just laid back for an hour and a half. I never felt a thing. And when I went home, I realized somebody just cut stuff off of my face that might have killed any of my ancestors, given time. And for, and what did it what could, what was it for me? It was it was it was an hour and a half, two hours lying down on a couch. That's it, lying down on a couch. So go get it checked out. Now uh, I'm given plenty of advance warning for this. I don't know if uh, my beautiful wife is watching. She usually does, but she's got some work she's doing too. If she's watching this, okay. I hope so. Uh, but I, I'm I'm giving you all a warning right now. Uh, there, every time I go in, you know, I'm 63, right? I mean, I just have to face it. So there's all these, like, there's spots. Some of those are just age spots, I get it. But really, a lot of them are just kind of flaky areas, dry areas that are just kind of, you know, like like this one. You know, it's just a little persistent, right? And so I go down and get a little shot of, you know, the uh, uh, liquid nitrogen. And I get a little tired of it frankly. So um, here's the big warning. Uh, I am almost certainly going to do, I don't know when I'll do it, probably two, three months. Um, <laughs> one says, uh, always check your friend for breast cancer. That's, that's really important. But here, here's basically what I, what I said. I said to the, to the uh, nursing and, and the doctor when they were just pulling the stitches out, yeah, it's healing really well. I said, aces. I said, guys, I got to tell you, um, 
they had talked to me about this laser resurfacing thing where they basically burn your skin off with a laser. And I said, I'm getting a little tired of coming in and, and doing nothing but fixing the potholes. Maybe it's time to like repave the street, you know? So I actually think I might do that. Um, somewhere in there, uh, I might just... Now, unfortunately, it's a cosmetic procedure, and I won't tell you that there wouldn't be cosmetic side effects. I'll, I'll come out of there and I'll look like I'm 11. But it would basically take all of this junk off. And uh, so I may do that. And if you see me, if I do that, I'm going to be out for a week with a bad sunburn that I picked up while I was out on the beach, apparently. Uh, and then, <laughs> oh, CP tomes with the, for the win. Directed energy weapons will be aimed in my in my general vicinity. Uh, yeah, and, and and Dave Big Booty says, look up laser rust removal on YouTube. That's a fantastic video for talking about the same thing. It's this gunked out piece of steel, just, just covered in grease and stuff. And then this guy just got this handheld thing, just kind of gone. It was awesome. Um, so anyway, uh, they said, uh, just give us some warning because we, they honestly said this, because if you're going to, going to have that done, uh, we need to get you in here about an hour early. I said, okay. They said, uh, first thing we got to do is we, we have to numb up your entire face. I said, oh, really? Yeah. Just, yeah we're going to, you know, we're going to shoot a laser at it and burn it. Said, okay. Well, that sounds like that might be cool. And the second thing she said was, and plus we need about an hour to warm up the laser. And I thought that's the coolest thing I've ever heard in any medical uh, situation I've ever been in. Uh, when you come back in, um, be sure to give us an hour uh, to warm up the laser that we're going to use to burn the skin off your face that you're going to pay us to do. But I wasn't kidding about that. I wasn't kidding about the line about I'm, I'm getting a little tired of uh, fixing potholes. It may just may just be time to just you know, repave the street. Anyway, uh, we'll see. Laser experts say that it was fake, according to Fiery Waco or Waco Waco, I guess. I don't know. I will find out. Um, so uh, that's uh, one uh, one true tale of adventure down. Um, Natasha and I were up with a third friend up at uh, Sequoia National Park. Uh, Sequoia National Forest, actually, uh, for the 4th of July. It was her first 4th of July as a U.S. citizen. That was really, really cool. Um, there are two roads that go up to the park. There's a southern entrance and a northern entrance. The southern entrance is, you know, you're going up a mountain, but it's, it's fairly civilized. But the northern entrance is... Horrific. Excruciating. Uh, the northern way in doubles back and winds more than any road I've ever been on. Now, I didn't know, because I went up at night. Uh, Natasha and her friend went up early, and I had to stick around for a while, but I caught up with them and went up at night. And so I start going into these turns with my lovely Camaro, and I'm, I'm not going at them insane fast, but I'm going at them aggressively because I'm from Florida where everything is flat and straight, and I get to turn the wheel and you know, go up and go down. It's pretty cool. So I start going into these, uh, I think it was, I think it's California State Road 190, the northern entrance. And I'm, like I said, nothing dangerous, just, you know, having fun. 
So I do this for about 10 or 15 minutes, and there's all of these switchbacks. And I mean, there are some of them were like, honestly, they were like 190, 200 degrees. You went, you went more than all the way around on these. And it's nighttime, you know, so I can't really see anything. And I do this for about 10 minutes, and then I start to say, you know what, I feel a little funny. I should slow this down a little bit. So I do. And then I'm uh, going up the hill, and um, more of these curves, and they keep on coming. And then I said, you know, I'm... I think I'm starting to feel sick. No, you're not starting to feel sick. Yes, yes, you are. Um, uh, and then I'm going around another one of these corners, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, stop the car. So I stop the car, and I open the door, and I lean over, and my seatbelt caught me, and I barfed all over the street. I haven't thrown up since I was, I don't know, nine or ten. One time around 2009 or 10 when Jeremy Boring came back from Africa with a flu that was projectile vomit gold medalist but other than that and I just oh so a little bit of it dribbled inside the car I thought I was a limo driver for four years you know you get that smell in the car you never get it out ever 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 the car is never the same so I finally I'm barfing on the road all right, I've still got 21 minutes to go. Natasha's waiting for me. There's no cell coverage. I don't want her to worry, so I'm driving along 15 miles an hour, and I got both windows down, and it's 43, well, it's 56 degrees, and it's 53 degrees, and it's 50 degrees, and it's 48 degrees, and it's 46 degrees, and now it's 43 degrees. You're just getting higher and higher and higher. And I'm just wearing a, you know, short sleeve shirt like this, and this cold air is coming in, and I'm like, thank God. But I have to tell you, that last 20 minutes was miserable. Miserable. I was sick, and, and that road kept, it just wouldn't stop. It just wouldn't stop. So we get to the cabin, and, and, and Natasha's there at the door. I said, hey, uh, love you. Good to see you here. I'd kiss you, but I got, I'm, I'm all vomity. Uh, I need to lie down. And so I did lie down for you know, half an hour, I guess, and then we went out and cleaned the little bit of vomit that got off the side of the door, got on it early, used a lot of water, left the windows open the next day, gone. Uh, Lady Hawk uh, says it's altitude sickness, it's actually motion sickness, and I don't get it in the daytime, but I had no visual reference, except for the fact that I, I realized right after I barfed, so I'm 35 minutes, 40 minutes into the drive, and about 20 minutes left to go on that particular stretch, I said, I haven't been car sick since the last time I was up at, where was I? I was up at Sequoia National Park and I came, oh my God, it's the same road. So that northern road into Sequoia is, it's, um, it's not, it's not fun. I came out, uh, I came out the south way and I felt much better about it. Uh, my uh, right angle this week is about that trip, um, just, give you guys the advance notice. So I'd been to Sequoia twice before uh, and with Natasha once before. And uh, and if you've never been, it's amazing. There, there really is no, no word for it. Uh, first time I went up with my mom, I went in the daytime, which was sensible. And you, and you see these redwood trees and these huge California redwoods and they just get taller and taller and wider and wider. You think, 
my god these trees are huge look at the size of these things unbelievable driving 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 huge huge redwood trees up and up and up and up you think wow this is this is something look at the size of these trees i bet this you know this sequoias i've heard are even bigger than this driving 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 and then you see one you see your first sequoia and you speaking for myself i stopped the car and i got out i could not believe my eyes it was one of those jurassic park kind of kind of moments Honest to God, when I first saw one, I couldn't believe it was real. Couldn't believe it was real. So, uh, we've been to the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon is very impressive, but it, it to me, is nothing as impressive as uh, Sequoia National Park. Anyway, uh, here's, so here's some disturbing news. So, um, I'd seen the General Grant and the General Sherman, and I've been to, I forget what they call one of these areas, a cathedral or something like that. But one area I hadn't been to is called Trail of 100 Giants, which should be renamed Trail of 97 Giants, and I'll tell you why. I'm not sure on the details of this, but I think, I think that Trail of 100 Giants is inside the Sequoia National Forest, but not inside Sequoia National Park, I think. But we're doing this path and here these giants are you know this here's i'm standing in front of a tree it's two thousand years old it was a sapling the same time jesus was all of our history that you can possibly think of the signing of the declaration of independence was just just late fairly recent in this tree's life walking around and um and they said there was a fallen sequoia. There's a marker on the map. Oh, let's go see the fallen sequoia. So I saw this thing on its side. The sequoia has an enormously wide trunk, and, a, and the roots are somewhat bigger, and uh, and maybe four or five feet deep. It, it just doesn't look possible that anything that size could stand with such a puny root system. There's no giant tap root. There's no there's no broad roots that go out like like an oak. It, it is it is essentially just standing there. Honest to God, it's like it's just standing there. And these things are unbelievable. And the, the bark is very spongy, it's very light. So here was one of these things lying on its side. I thought, oh God, that's a, that's a hard thing to watch. You know, that tree was probably 1,500 years old. I walk further down the path, and then I find out that the sequoia that fell, fell on top of two other sequoias, conjoined sequoias, and that the first two went down in 2011, and then the third one went down in 2019, fell on top of the, the two that had already gone down, and if you uh, are able to do fundamental math, you realize that for trees that have lived for 1,800, 1900 years, almost 2,000 years, for two of them to go down at the same place at the same time within, uh, what was it, uh, eight years of each other? That's, that's weird. When we saw the two that had fallen, it just breaks your heart. I mean, it's just it's all it's just it just makes you unbelievably sad these things are not coming back well they will it's 2,000 years from now these two trees have grown up next to each other for 1,800 years and think about that 1,800 years since the fall of the Roman Empire these two trees have been talking to each other down they went now here's the part that makes me actually really hurt uh, and that is on the little placard there next to the fallen sequoias uh, is a little note that says that there's video footage of this uh, taken by a guy named uh, Panzer, German tourist, interesting name for a German tourist to have, 
but he caught the 2011 fall on his cell phone and as usual um, I did not prepare anything in advance but I will um, I will show you this he caught he's running for his life he, he and his wife are on the trail and at 1:11 p.m. on September 30th I think 2011 he starts hearing these cracking noises and he looks up and this it's not a tree it's 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 a it's a skyscraper it's, it's indescribable how big these things are starting to come over so he starts running but he got it on his cell phone give me one second I'll, sh I'll uh, show you what that looks like um, so I saw this video yeah one second saw this video and uh, and this video led me to a second video which led me to some really something just heartbreaking first things first I uh, got it. Let me download it. Uh, talk amongst yourselves. Here we go. And of course, he sold the phone vertically and stuff, but you know, I guess it's. You can't really blame the guy. It's like the world coming down on you. Here it comes. Um. And, you know, and he got the sound, too. So here's the video that I saw. When I got back to cell phone coverage, internet coverage, I said, I got to see this because these trees are amazing. So here's the footage that was taken in 2000. I can't, was it 2011 or was this in 2019? I think this might have been the, the the third one yeah this was this wasn't the twins this was the third one coming down still a sequoia falling uh have a look at this now it should get your undivided attention i would think um Okay, so it's expect as spectacular as I thought, but we saw that it had fallen on top of the other two. The other two had burned. They had they had burned once they were down on the ground. Wildfires had swept through Sequoia a year or two ago. Most of it was burned out. The Sequoias are built to take fire, so the fire didn't kill these two things. The two that were lying flat on the ground had died, and then they then they burned. But it's so enormous, and and it's so. It's just so monumental. I, I had no words for it, and so Natasha provided them. She said, it's like a plane crash. That's exactly what it's like. Yes, it's like a plane crash. The, the diameter of these trunks is, is about the size of, of a... It's, it's probably larger than a 737 and, and might be the, as wide as a 747. It's a, it's a huge, wide thing. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on. It's like, it's like a plane crash. It's just crazy. Um, so, I went and looked at the video I just showed you guys, and that led me to another video. Um, and then, uh, this is what the other video said. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, Dave Big Booty pointed out something. I didn't get to see it while the video was playing. Uh, we have a, a, a live stream member who we haven't seen too much of, but he, he wins the internet for the day. A bag of sprites said... Uh, we should start planting more sequoia trees for our great, 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 great grandy cyborgs, grand cyborgs. Yeah, here's the here's the news, folks.
according to this video, the, the people who are administering the 100 trails, and I don't think that was in the parks, 100, Trail of 100 Giants, in 2005, they made a decision to cut down what they were calling nuisance trees or danger trees. These are regular sized trees, nothing special about them, just regular pine trees. They're not super close to the sequoias. They were worried that some of the branches might come down and hit people on the trail, you know, so they call them nuisance trees. So they just went in there and chopped those babies down. That was in 2005. 2011, the twin sequoias went down. And in 2019, a third one fell on top of those two. And what uh, this video was claiming, which seems reasonable to me, was that all of these little trees protect the sequoias from the wind. And more importantly, when it really rains, because all three of those went down during heavy rains, when it really rains, the soil gets looser and the roots on the sequoia are not very deep or wide. And, and prior to this, those other trees would just soak up the, ex the extra water. So we go in there to cut down all of these trees that presumably are gonna cause harm to people on the trail, although I don't really know how that works. So, so they cut them down and now these sequoias are starting to fall. And the worst of it is these trees have been down since 2005 and since then we've lost three of them. How many more are we gonna lose because we decided to cut these trees down? I mean, it's certainly well-intentioned. You can't, you can't really go out and blame somebody, but really, you know, am I saying, is TAPS 556, are you saying that California doesn't know how to manage its forest bill? No, 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 certainly wouldn't be trying to say, I've got to run a wildfire. I'll be back in a year. Um, so, so when I heard this, I just wanted to throw up because, and I got to be careful about how I say this, because I don't want to be misunderstood about this. In, when I watched 9-11 live in real time, the horror of the people dying, those people are irreplaceable. That was the horror of it. The buildings themselves didn't particularly bother me. They weren't particularly good-looking buildings. I've seen tons of these buildings brought down by controlled explosions. Okay, so seeing, a, seeing one of the World Trade Center fall is is gets your attention. Needless to say, it's the tragedy of knowing there are people inside that, that did it. But when I saw the fallen sequoia, I said to myself, we can't rebuild this. It's not like we can just go back and build another one. You know, it, they took 12 years to put the Freedom Tower up or whatever, but we could have rebuilt those towers exactly the same way as they were if we wanted to and could have done it probably five, six, seven years. We now are looking at these holes in the ground where these things used to be standing and we can plant seedlings now and take care of them and they'll be ready to see it as they were just a couple of years ago and 2,000 years from now, 2,000 years from now. They cannot be replaced. They are irreplaceable. And if they fall down, I'm sure that there will be enough seedlings so that in 2,000 years, they'll grow back again. There's only one place in the world where these things live and the altitude, the moisture content, soil type, all of it has to be exactly right because it's a very small area. I, I know for a certain fact that every one of those sequoias has an individual number and many of them have names. But when I'd heard, when I'd heard that, that, that these things had gone down because of this, it just made me just want to just made me want to cry. And we'd seen this before, right? Uh, I don't know when, it, I want to say it was 30 years ago now in, in, in uh, Yellowstone. I think it was, 
this enormous fire went through and destroyed Yellowstone. And, and what we found was that we didn't want forest fires in Yellowstone National Park, so anytime lightning would hit a tree in Yellowstone, we'd send guys out there and put the fire out. I did not see that uh, political animal. Don't let me forget that. Um, and so they put the fire out. Well, what we didn't realize was that lightning hitting trees actually predates the National Park Service, uh, predates humans, predates mammals. Uh, so Yellowstone was here and had managed to survive lightning strikes all this time because when lightning would strike a tree, it would burn the, 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 the brush around the trees. The trees are evolved to be able to survive those kind of fires. No problem. It just cleans out all the garbage and puts a little uh, fertilizer down there and the green stuff grows back in. But we decided, no, 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 we don't want forest fires in national parks. So we put them out for 30 years. And what that meant was that the undergrowth built up for 30 years unnaturally, artificially, so that when a, finally a fire came that we couldn't contain, it was so intense it killed all these trees that normally would just ride this kind of thing out. And having had that experience behind us, you think that somebody would think, maybe we ought to think about this a little more carefully, you know? Um, so, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, and, um, yeah. So, it was 1988, that sounds exactly right, Dave. That's right around in there. Uh, in real time here, a Political Animal 87 uh, says, as we record this on Thursday evening, July 7th at uh, 6.42 p.m. Pacific time, that uh, James Kahn has died. Uh, and that's a, that is a shame. Uh, he, you don't see many actors like him. Can you, can, I, I don't, I, I know everybody's different, but I mean, Khan was just a huge guy. He's just, in the, in the Godfather movies, he's sunny, you know, he's just, the reason he works is because he's so big. James Khan was in one of my all-time favorite movies that I, I just loved it. I haven't seen it in a while. I don't know if it holds up. I get the feeling it probably does, actually. And that was uh, Rollerball. I thought Rollerball was a fantastic film. And I thought he was fantastic in it. And he had a really, really good earthy quality. And I heard he was a good man. And, and I'm awful sorry to see him go. Um, but, yeah, Rollerball. With that steel ball, man, you know. Throwing that thing. It was, it was crazy, crazy good movie. I think I like most about Rollerball, actually, was... It's the first time I've ever seen a film deal with the future in terms of corporations. Uh, so the cities would play each other, but uh, but James Con uh, Jonathan E, I think he was playing for Houston, Orange Colors, Houston, Houston. They're the energy city, you know, and and they played uh, New York in the finals and a couple of other towns. You know, the, these corporations are playing each other. Anyway. I thought it was a fantastic film. I really liked it, and I really liked him. So I'm I'm sorry to see him go. Although I have to imagine uh, he anybody I'll, I'll find out. I'll just ask the my uh, non-invasive uh, Siri here called uh, Stratty. Hey Stratty, uh, um, how old was um, James Con when he died? It's not quite as fast as Siri. It's because it runs on relays and it's got mechanical little things, clockwork mechanism. Uh, Working, 88. He was 88. Um, 
I imagine uh, 88 or 82 when there's there's smoke coming out of the machine. 82, 82, 82. We're getting we're getting conflicting. Norman coordinate. Okay, we're getting 82. 82 is outvoting the other numbers. Um, 82 is not bad, uh, and I bet it was a fun 82. Um, uh, Loyola uh, mentions um, Brian's song, which was a TV movie about Brian Piccolo. That was a great movie. Great movie. Um, so he'll be missed, and the reason he'll be missed is because he was a he was a you know a man. He was an actual man. He wasn't just like a male. He's a man. You don't see guys like that much anymore. Um, speaking of which, and we will get to questions this time, so help me, we will, and I don't have a whole lot more to, 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 to do here. Uh, but we saw, um, what we see, we saw, we saw Maverick a couple weeks ago. We thought it was great. It's made a billion dollars because it didn't piss all over everything you believe in. And we saw the Elvis, we saw Elvis, which I was not particularly excited about, but I thought it was fantastic. So uh, last night, Natasha said, anything playing? And I said, well, let me look. So I looked, no, there's nothing playing. So I saw on YouTube, here's the upcoming uh, trailers, you know, for the summer. So one thing led to another. And last night I watched two and a half hours of trailers because that's the kind of guy I am. And I went in there to tell Natasha, I said, I just watched 25, 30 trailers. Uh, it seemed to me like 85% of them featured gay leads and all of the adventure stories, all of the action stories featured diverse, powerful young females uh, doing their thing. Um, and I, I sat there and watched all this stuff um, and uh, yeah, the message, uh, I sat and watched these trailers and I you know what kept going through my mind? A couple things. First of all was, I'm going to be very, very rich. Because nobody wants this stuff. It's just, it's just, it's just nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. Um, the only thing that looked half decent to me was Bullet Train with Brad Pitt. And that was because Brad Pitt is a great actor and he's having fun with being Brad Pitt. And that was about it. Um, but, yeah, that's, Lady Hawk mentioned um, the new Thor movie. So... Thor is no longer a big, enormously strong Viking, you know? He is, um, Thor is now a five-foot-tall, willow-thin, brown-eyed, <sighs> thing, right? She's, she's holding the hammer, which weighs more than she does. And we're supposed to believe that she's an action hero. I've heard that they use CG to buff up her arms to make it believable that she could lift this hammer. I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, if I, I know that the prop hammer doesn't weigh what a real hammer would weigh, but given how, how strong um, uh, Natalie Portman isn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they had to, like, you know, brush out the wires that they use to hold the hammer up while she's pretending to hold the hammer. It's just the worst possible choice. And, and, and it's like, this isn't Thor. And, and a black woman isn't James Bond. You can call it what you want, but that's not what it is. And, and, and again and again and again, they keep doing this and they keep failing and failing and failing and failing. <sighs> uh, Coffee Fictionado said it's been touted as the gayest Marvel movie. I disagree. I think it's probably the gayest Marvel movie so far. Uh, they don't... 
they don't get it. <laughs> it's just so awful. Oh my goodness gracious. Out of the blue, somebody's name I don't recognize at all. NY Danielle said she lifted the hammer and pulled the muscle. Now her arm is Thor. The internet is alive today. Hurrah. Well played. So why do they keep doing it? They, they keep doing it because, well, I don't know why they keep doing it. It's some kind of fantasy on the part of, of uh, feminists and, um, and, and uh, gamma male soy boys. But, um, oh, it's Bart's Treasures. Uh, but, um, yeah, we're going to make a fortune. We're going to make a fortune because Ma Maverick's made a billion dollars. It's made a billion dollars because it gave people what it wanted. I, I'm, spoiler alert. I'm watching Maverick, and I'm and I'm get we're getting into the third act here, and I'm thinking, okay, I wonder I wonder how Cruz how how um, Maverick's gonna gonna die, is he gonna, you know, is he gonna get shot down? Is he gonna is he gonna die saving the mission? Is he gonna die saving the boat? How how is he gonna end up dying in this thing? Because that's what happens in modern movies, right? You can't let the hero live, and then the movie comes to an end, and and there's the hero, he's alive. He's flying a P-51. He's got the second hottest woman in the world sitting behind him. It's really Tom Cruise and um, Jennifer Connelly, by the way. And, 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 and they fly off into the sunset, and he's fine. He survived. He's fine. He wins. Um, so uh, we're going to make a fortune. Um, now, a couple of quick things. I'm sure you've all been relieved uh, that we've uh, cut the uh, animation uh, content uh, by 85%, we're working on getting to 90. Uh, but uh, the video's been out for a couple weeks now. One thing I learned uh, the hard way is that when you do something artistic, uh, directed a couple of little movies, and we did four episodes of a sketch comedy show, so I've had the experience of standing in the back of the room while what I'm doing is on the screen, and you're watching the audience reaction. And what I've, what I've come to, to learn is, is that you'll get criticisms about everything. But if all the criticisms are about different things, then you've hit the home run. Right? Something, there's always something to bother somebody. But the converse of that is, when you hear the same comments again and again and again and again and again, then you know you've got a problem. So uh, I was in such... It wasn't even a rush. I was, I, I had to get that thing out the door, and and I when I put it out the door, I thought this is it. I'm not. This is done. This is finished. But once it was out the door and I could take a breath, I looked at it and I said the problem that was there from the beginning is still there, and that problem is being too on the nose with the Democratic National Committee. I've said before that I thought and thought and thought and thought and thought about it. I tried. I tried all kinds of different things, and I couldn't get anything that made the point. And I figured, all right, if, if my choice is either throw a punch on the nose or, or not throw a punch at all, then if I don't throw the punch, no point in even doing this. So, um, yeah, I know I got three pages, so I gotta, I'll just go through this fast. Um, uh, so, and, and then I looked at it, and I just said, look, it's bothered me from the beginning, and I've just been trying to, you know, paper it over. And I, and I didn't know what to do about it. But I finally had a couple weeks to think it over. So here's what's going to happen. I am uh, going to work on this on the weekend. I hope to have it by next Thursday. Uh, 
we are now going through a process that happens in the real world of entertainment, you know, the real world of entertainment. Here's the real world of entertainment. You put out something, and, and when you see the same kind of comments and criticisms, if they're severe enough and if they're consistent enough, you got a problem. So uh, we did a test screening, and we got our audience response. So now we're going out and doing reshoots. So we're going to do some reshoots, and the reshoots are as follows. I took a minute and a half out of the animation. I cut a minute and a half out. The director's cut will be available. But um, I took out a 30-second beat where Zoe is talking in the burning forest. Maybe more than that. And then I took out the entire Here Once Flowed the River Lafir. I took all that conversation out. It's a minute and 10 seconds of conversation. Doesn't advance the story. I thought I had to explain why these guys are crossing a, a dried up riverbed. How that riverbed get dried up? Don't need it, Bill. Don't need it. So snip those things out and we get into the action much faster. So those were good cuts. I've still got the problem at the end. So how do I make it clear what this place is without coming out and seeing what this place is? My patch on it was, okay, if I have to go on the nose, let's then let's just walk up and punch it right on the nose in broad daylight. Let's talk about the fact that this is sign up there that they can't understand. And that was better than nothing. But um, but what I'm going to do is this. When the uh, explosion happens, that explosion of light, and it reveals Democratic Party headquarters, it's not going to say that anymore. It's going to say... I just want to make sure I get it right. I don't know. I've, I know I've got it. I just want to make sure I've got it. Excuse me while I put on my uh, spectacles, make a spectacle out of myself. Where'd this thing go? Those flaming letters are not going to say Democratic Party headquarters. They are going to say. Oh, for God's sake. Hang on. I just want to get it right. They're going to be flaming letters, and those flaming letters are going to say... Oh, for God's sake. I land on the one website that charges seven cents to translate something. I hate this dead air. Sorry, but you know there it is. Here's Google Translate. That's what I did use last time. Hang on a second. Uh, so um... <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah, the flaming letters are going to pop up, and they're going to say Dividimus Populum. So that's cool because there's a big D, and then it says Davidimus Populum in flaming letters. And Davidimus Populum is Latin for we divide, Zoe will say, we divide people, and then I will say, we divide the people. Davidimus Populum. 
we divide the people. That's what the flaming letters are going to say. So we're not going to mention Democrats because I've had enough people tell me that it just plain kills the thing, right? It's a serious criticism, not a minor thing. It's a major, major criticism, and I'm getting it consistently, and I feel it myself. So now it's just going to see flaming letters up there that say divide, and um, and then I'm going to bring the D down so that we got the D. I thought about using the actual Democrat logo, the, the actual graphic of the D in the circle, but no, I'll go with the old D with a fire going around it. And then finally, um, uh, they're going to get ready to jump into this porthole, and then I'm going to do what, what I had done before, which is I'm going to move something that I had later in the script up here to be in part one. So just before they're about to take a run at it, I originally had this as a as a notice that was nailed onto the door of the castle once they got through the uh, the vortex, the fire vortex. They'd see it's the first thing they'd see on the other side. But I've been playing around with uh, flaming letters of fire, which is a really great um, After Effects template. So now, dividibus populum. What does that mean? We divide the people. Okay. There's the big D. All right. And then they're getting ready to run, and then in the air, in front of them, right at the boundary of where this fire portal is, just as they're about to go, these letters of fire, it's really, really cool. They just, they just kind of light up, you know, it's, it just goes along, and, and it just burns itself into the air, and it says, uh, um, Thou must be wearing a visor in order to enter this dungeon by order of Dr. Faustus, chief apothecary, and steward of the realm. And then we look at this and we do what we were going to do in the beginning of part two, and that is we take our helmets off, and that's going to give us a chance to do one or two lines each with the full face animation without the helmets. Zoe says, I say, I'll not be commanded by that milk-livered tardigated ninny hammer and so says takes off his helmet throws it at the at the thing here be thou answer lord tyrant i say and mine beside it go to my loot faustus though mewling onion eyed pigeon egg um and uh i don't want to call him faustus because there is a faustus faustus is is i think is extremely clever uh dr faustus i might have heard of dr faustus dr faustus we'll meet him on the inside don't worry uh so that, that's going to solve that. Now, that'll take care of one problem, shorten it up. A couple comments about it being too long. Many comments about the, the Democratic Party sign. And um, thou must don a visor. What, what does the sign say when you go to what? I've I, I blocked the whole t last two years out. What does it say when you go in? You cannot enter this building unless you're wearing a mask. That's, the, that's what the thing's parroting. I'll get the wording of that. Anyway, you get the idea. Um, so... Sounds a lot like fascist. It's funny how that works, isn't it? That's a, that's a that's a that's a, what a, what a, what a remarkable coincidence. Yes, I took Fauci, Fauci and combined it with Faustus and fascist, and I came up with Doctor Faustus. I love it. And then the final thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to revoice the thing. Uh, I'm going to try to do it naturally in the same kind of in the same kind of um, style that Zoe got it. Zoe's, Zoe's voice is so rich, he's able to, to basically play it more or less naturally and still put, he's still got so much, you know, so much uh, gravitas in that voice. 
and I don't. So I've been trying to find this character, and it's just not working. It's just not very good. Um, now, uh, I'll try to do it with a naturalistic read and see how that feels. And if it feels great, that'll put it in. If that doesn't work, I'm going to do something different. Men we, somebody mentioned before that I had hired a British guy for, you know, online for like 50 bucks to read the script, and I would then just basically reproduce what he was saying. And I did that. But that's not the read you heard, because when I did it it, it, it sounded like it was a, you know, a toaster instruction manual. It was just flat. Now, here's the thing that's really cool. Uh, I've been looking. I've seen one or two people test this out on YouTube. I haven't seen anybody do it, but stay with me on this. It really needs to be my voice if I can possibly do it, because it's my face. Um, what's, what's in there now isn't working. It's not good enough. You're all probably familiar with uh, deep fakes, right? You've seen them by now? I may have shown one. In, in any event, a deep fake is where they take Tom Cruise's face and put it over your face. And the artificial intelligence is looking at your expression. It's got 5,000 different views of Tom Cruise. And then it manipulates the pictures it has of Tom Cruise to match your expressions. And it glues your face over the top. And it's, you get them on a phone app now for like you know, $4. Okay, so face replacement. This is the thing that I'd had in mind, and I didn't see anybody doing it, and then I saw somebody do a test on it, which I may actually find, too. So think about this. I know it sounds convoluted, but give me a second here. If I put on this clown show, right, the palsy brace, right, this thing, right, what's happening is the camera's recording my facial motions, and it's sending it into Unreal Engine, and Unreal Engine is mapping it onto a metahuman. And the metahumans look pretty good, but they don't look photoreal. They, so they look good, but they're not photoreal. I had the idea, and then I saw somebody pull it off. I said, now, what if we were to take the metahuman animation and then deep fake that? In other words, what if you have to train the computer Whoever you're going to deep fake, you've got to give it as many images of that target as you possibly can. And once you've got, once it knows enough of what Tom Cruise's expressions look like, once it's got enough pictures of his teeth and all of his angles, then it can put Tom Cruise on top of anybody. Okay? So, what I could do is, I know it sounds roundabout, but this is how you have to get yourself digitized. I could do facial motion capture of my face map it onto a metahuman that looks as much like me as possible. And then I could take that video footage of the metahuman, go back and take 100 photos of my face, if only I could find a photographer, train the computer what I look like, and then the computer deep fakes my face, my photographic face, onto the CG rendering that looks like my face. The closer the match is, the better it goes. And then you have a photo, you have a photo, um, representation of your face. I'm not talking about doing this to fix the animation. I'm talking about you doing this to go forward, right? Go forward. I, I can get this other step done really pretty quickly. Um, but I thought, I wonder how that would look. And then and then I found out. Somebody somebody did it. And by golly, we're going to have some more dead air while I uh, figure out where this thing went. Um, uh, hang on.
because this is revolutionary. Is this a guy? Yeah, I think this is a guy. All right, so here's the, here's the technique, which has gotten, by the way, which has gotten, was posted on June 13th. It's just a, it's a 30 second, it's a little longer than one minute, 27 seconds. It's a small tutorial in Unreal Engine, and it's gotten 365,000 views. I haven't had 365,000 views in three years. So I will uh, narrate this for you because I think it's really revolutionary. One moment, please. One moment, please. Okay, let's do this. Um, it's really brilliant. This is, this is, you know, this is the, this is the, the thing that really gets you over that final hurdle. Of, eh, it looks, looks really close, Bill. This is just cool. So somebody went ahead and did what I'd been thinking might work. And it's not perfect, but you'll get the idea. So they did exactly what I was talking about. They captured their own face, mapped it onto a metahuman, and then Tom Cruise is available as a test subject. You can buy deepfake software, and along comes Tom Cruise because there's lots of pictures of Tom Cruise. So then the guy took his facial motion, mapped it onto a metahuman, and then he deepfaked Tom Cruise on top of the metahuman. And what he ended up with was a digital Tom Cruise that lives in um, in Unreal Engine, and uh, here are the uh, here are the results of that. Uh, okay, so like I said, I'll try and narrate it. That's that's now the focus and the resolution is low, but that is see that's the metahuman right there. Metahuman, deep fake Tom Cruise on top of the metahuman. There's the deep fake Tom Cruise. Now, like I said, the resolution is low, but it's because he's just experimenting with this. Change the lighting on him. It's a digital Tom Cruise now. And I hope he goes back to the metahuman one more time. Yeah. Okay, so that's what that's the metahuman. That's what comes out of Unreal, and that's with the metahuman with the deep fake on top of it. And it looks really good. You can see how much better it looks anyway. This guy, you know, is just a guy. He just went up there and, and did it. All these expressions you're about to see, they're part of the metahuman uh, things, right? You, when you're making your metahuman, you can give it all these different expressions to make so you can see how it looks. So he's running those metahuman tests, but he's deep faking Tom Cruise over the top of it. Help me help you. Given the fact that this guy is just a guy, and I mean no disrespect to the guy who did, did a really good job, uh, it's only when you see him compared to the metahuman just how much better than metahumans it is. That's for going forward. That's for the sci-fi thing. So, like I said, going to get better and better and better. All right, let's uh, move let's move the mail along here. Oh, you know, going to look into the um, comment section in the members-only uh, blog is now it feels like it feels like I am going to uh, you know like I'm gonna check out a uh, like the attic that hasn't been cleaned in 35 years uh, 
Would I need permission for Cruz's likeness? Uh, I don't think I would. Uh, you know what? Since we're on the subject and since it interests me, and I, I swear I will get to the questions. There's one more thing uh, that I saw. Um, There's a, there's a uh, YouTube channel that I follow occasionally called Corridor Crew. They're special effects artists. They're here in Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, and they were the first ones that really showed me how deep fake works. And the way they showed me how deep fake works was they hired, this is why, this is when deep fake works well. They hired a Tom Cruise impersonator to come to the studio. He did the voice. He did a perfect voice rendition he looks like Tom Cruise because that's how he makes a living. Then they deep fake the Tom Cruise on top of the, on top of the Tom Cruise impersonator, and the effect was magical. So now there's an account out there, a TikTok account called um, I think it's called Virtual Tom Cruise, and uh, here's a, uh, here comes, um, here it comes. Now, reason I'm showing you this is because this technology is out there. It's it's easily accessible, and instead of seeing this being Tom Cruise, you can just think of this as, as it being, uh, you know, like me. Uh, yeah, yeah, this will blow your mind. This is really good. And the reason it's so good is because the guy who's the Tom Cruise impersonator is doing a hell of a good job of impersonating Tom Cruise. So you're going to see a video. Here it comes. Um, and uh, this is not Tom Cruise at all. He's nowhere near this. He's not a single frame of this that you're about to see. It has anything to do with the real Tom Cruise. And here we go. Uh, that's why. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just, oh. It's a little uh, embarrassing. You know, it reminds me, I was once in uh, Russia and ran into uh, Gorbachev. He said, you know, Mr. Movie Star, are you nervous? I said, no, Mr. Uh, Mr. Gorbachev, I'm not. That's <laughs> nervous, I know. He goes, well, remember how much a polar bear weighs. I said, polar bear? He said, enough to break the ice. It's the last time I've ever seen Mikhail Gorbachev. What's up, TikTok? And that's not time. You guys cool if I play some sports? And it works with the glasses. I love it. More for the audio experience. Again, can't hear me. As much as the momentum. Hey, listen up, sports and TikTok fans. If it you works. Like what you're because this guy's a very good Tom Cruise impersonator. Oh, come on, show me the guy. The real thing. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's all real thing. <laughs> they didn't show the guy. Doesn't matter. You get the idea. Uh, so, here we are. Um, uh, you know, 
chasing this dream for 55 years or something in that neighborhood. And finally, uh, we have the technology to, um, to do miracles in little boxes that cost a thousand, two thousand dollars. There's a virtual Keanu Reeves on TikTok that I cannot tell is not the real thing. I, 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 I can do it frame by frame. I cannot tell that it's, that it's fake. There's a lot about that. Yes, this is a guy who did the uh, Run Tom Run. He ran a 2020 election ad. Uh, Tom Cruise pretended to be running for, the, for, for office. But all of these things are just to make the one point, and that point is that we are now at the point where in this little humble little abode, which is made possible by the members of BillWhittle.com, we can now do anything, anything, and, and make it look really good. And it gets better looking every single every single month. Okay, let's do some, uh, some actual business here after a mere hour, 15 minutes of jabber John or whatever. Go to the uh, member forum page. Why don't we over at BillWittle.com? Uh, we have a writers' club. That's awesome. Uh, somebody mentioned it in the in the comment stream. Um, we have a, a writer's club, so we'll be looking for writers eventually. I'm hoping. General forum, stratosphere lounge questions, and more. All right. I think what I'm going, I have two ways to do this. I can try to go back to the beginning of the stuff I missed, which is May 27th, or I could run, the, I'm going to run them backwards. I'm going to do the current ones now, and then I'll go back to the ones before that and, until we run out of time. So here we go for the 707 uh, Stratosphere Lounge questions. This is instructor for the forum. Thank you again, Henry. So the uh, first question comes from uh, Henry Lumley, who gets all of his questions answered uh, because of the remarkable work he's done curating this and continues to do. We're very grateful for that, Henry. Thank you. Hey, Bill, I wanted to recommend a YouTube rabbit hole for you and the guys to do an episode on. The best way I could describe it is it's a black red-pilled YouTube. I found out there are many videos of black Americans sitting down and watching videos and listening to audio of Thomas Sowell, as well as other black Republicans telling the true story, the true history of slavery, racism, and the Democratic Party. You really need to see some of these. The reactions are pretty strong, to say the least. I'm only including a couple of videos, but there are many with millions of views. And here he has thrown up into the comment section, which is available only to uh, members at BillWhittle.com, uh, at least three, four videos of black people hearing from Thomas Sowell the true history of, of the United States. And they all look quite shocked. Uh, I was, I've talked about this. I haven't seen it. I wasn't there, but I know somebody who was there, somebody I trust who was there, who said they went to a... Um, a party in Santa Monica it was a conservative gathering back in the glory days of uh, the organization that may or may not have existed. And this person said that um, that they were at the party and, and a, a black gentleman had come as an invited guest and 
he was invited because they thought maybe he might be a, a proto-conservative. But when he got there and he realized he was surrounded by uh, racist Republicans, he kind of got a little huffy and got up to leave. And as he was going out the door, somebody said, hey, you know, we're certainly not trying to stop you, but I mean, you know, Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. He said, what have to do with anything? He said, well, he's a Republican. He said, Lincoln was not a Republican. Yeah, he was. No, he wasn't. Lincoln was not a Republican. Don't be ridiculous. Uh, so they said, sir, just, you got a phone. Don't take our word for it. So this guy Googles it, and he's looks like he's been hit in the head with a bat. And he sits down, and he's reading, reading, reading. He's shaking his head. Can't believe it. And somebody says, and Frederick Douglass, and he said, stop. Just, just, just stop. Okay, this is this is a lot to take in. Um, David Booty says, "How does a grown adult not know that Lincoln was a Republican? Because, well, when was the last time that civics was taught in high school or American history, for that matter? Why do you think they don't teach American history? Because their entire narrative falls apart. And and when the message gets out." It's powerful. And this is why I get more confident every day, right? You can lie and lie and lie and lie and lie and lie and lie. And you can get away with an awful lot over a relatively short period of time. But eventually, the truth will come out. And when the truth does come out, the more lying you've done, the bigger the pushback is going to be. And they've done a lot of lying for a long, long time. So once people realize this, I mean, there's one here that's got a whole group of, of young black men, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of them, uh, with this expression on their faces like, what? And and it's, you know, Thomas Sowell's the smartest guy on the planet. Um, so the truth, the truth wins. We just have to get it out there, which is the whole purpose of all the animation stuff I went over. Why am I talking about, about um, the ability to deep freight Tom Cruise? Why am I wasting your time with this, right? Why? Why am I so interested in this? Um, I'm interested in this because this is a way to get information to people who would otherwise not only walk away from the information but spit on it on the way out, right? They've been told all these things and they've been told it all their life. You can't blame them. It's not their fault. And so this is look it's the whole animation campaign is simple. It's one word. It's a one word description. It's camouflage. That's all it is. It's all it's all it is. It's camouflage. It's designed to infiltrate and reach people who would not get the message because they've been told it's an evil message. They think they've already heard it. And that's another reason why the Democratic Party headquarters sign is, is such a sore thumb, because it breaks my own rule. I just didn't know what else to do. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to seeing all of those. And, um, and that I might do a uh, moving back to America on that. Uh, because the one I did on that guy, that rapper who did the, that Joe Biden thing several months ago, that, that moved the needle a little bit, too. So thank you very much for that, Henry. Okay, moving on. G.K. Masterson. What a swell guy. Uh, the various right angles and virtue signals answered my question, so now I have this. My mother is part of the volunteer staff for Brian Flowers, who's running for the House of District 2 in Mississippi. I think. MS? Sorry. Is that Missouri? I think it might be Missouri. Emma, is that Massachusetts? I don't remember. I 
I think MI might be Mississippi. MS. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, can somebody tell me uh, MS? Is it Missouri? Mississippi. I was right the first time. I, I knew it. I was just testing. Uh, testing you guys. Okay, so um, uh, here we go. Any chance you could help him get his message out through BillWhittle.com or Daily Wire or anything? District 2 is a dem-safe seat, so it's unlikely the party of stupid is going to do much to help him unseat Benny Thompson. Uh, I would be delighted. Um, strange coincidence. Uh, I got an email. Came in either yesterday or today. Shelly showed it to me today. From a guy who had won a state seat in... North Carolina, I think. It's here on my desk. I'm not going to go to dead air for the third time in a row trying to find it. But he said, um, hey, I was just elected to state office, and I, and I wanted to thank you because I was a big old liberal until I saw one of your firewalls, and then I watched the rest of them, and you've been a big influence on my life. And now I'm a Republican legislator in a, in a state. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Uh, so, yes, so... Um, so here's the link for his uh, website. I'm going to peel that off and uh, make, just kind of drag that over here so it doesn't get close to the rest of the stuff. Brian Flowers. It's an unusual looking chap. Um, but, you know, he can work with that. He's got a nice smile. Unbelievable. Um, now, it says go out and vote, and there's a countdown clock that's reached all zeros. Are we too late for this? He says, checking back at the comment section. Uh, okay, so um, so here's the here's the deal, CK. I think you've got my home email address. Uh, I will do anything I can to help this guy. Anything I can. Um, and I will just give you the, the same advice I give to all of my friends uh, and on all of these things, because when I say I'm going to do something... I genuinely mean to and I intend to and when I don't do them it's not because I changed my mind it's because my mind changes rapidly not about whether I want to do things or not it's just, oh look a squirrel and that's the end of that so in order to do this um, if you could contact me by email uh, if you can if she was working for the volunteer staff ask him what he thinks I might be able to do for him um, don't forget, though, that I'm a leading scientific uh, racist, uh, and you can just ask Media Matters about that. Um, so, so here's what I'm saying: uh, find out what you find out what I can do, and then email me with what, what what I can do, and keep emailing me until you get what I said I was going to do. And that's that's the deal. That's how it works. People say, "Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to bother you. I don't want to nag you." No, nag me because I don't. Because I'm I'm flying around quite a bit, you know. That's just just the reality I've come to realize after a long time on this earth, many many decades, many decades uh, of of living here on planet Earth, has has led me to the realization that I have strengths and weaknesses. I know that's hard for you to believe, but it's true. And um, and one of the big weaknesses is that the uh, kind of mental fluidity or liquidity or you can just call it brain uh, quicksand if you want to, whatever it is. 
that allows me to put things together in unusual uh, fashion also means that I have a very difficult time doing things that I have an excellent memory for for things that happened several hundred years ago uh, for things that happened earlier in the day not so much so that's the deal I will do anything I can to help I mean that sincerely I'm looking forward to it but in order for that to happen you're gonna have to uh, stay on me about it and if you do that then everything is golden and everybody wins uh, I wish it wasn't that way but if wishing made things so, I'd be a progressive, wouldn't I? All right, let's do this. You over here, yeah, that's, come on. I updated the operating system, which means that nothing that I know that used to work works anymore. Um, okay, so good, I'm glad I could help. Uh, anything I can do uh, for, the, for the, the team, I'm happy to do. Uh, all right, moving on. Um, Gearhead in Space, what a great name. Though I must have missed the show where you first mentioned the Victrola, I gathered it has something to do with Victrolas. Could you remind us? Yes. He didn't actually wrote that. He, he wrote the other word. It's not quite as... Uh, <sighs> rabid as it used to be. But... So here's the thing with YouTube, right? You, you, you can get a copyright violation, but that's not a strike. If 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 you if YouTube detects a copyright violation, I got two of them in this episode. It just says you're not making any money, and any money that might be coming to the video because of the views will go to the copyright owner. That's more than fair. A strike, on the other hand, is uh, a, a, a a warning. It's a punishment. So your first strike, you get suspended for uh, a week. You can't post anything for a week. Get a second strike, you can't post anything for two weeks. And if you get three strikes, everything you've ever posted on YouTube is taken down. And I have a friend who just had that happen to her. Every single thing she ever did and uploaded is gone, and they won't let you get to it to download it. That's the part that I find to be repulsive. That's the part that really boils me, right? We've decided we don't like what you're saying, so we're going to take it down. Okay, well, this is how I archived it. Too bad for you. You cannot get to them. You cannot miserable lying rotten cowards talking to you youtube mr youtube uh all right so that so that's the deal that's how it works um and so for quite a while there just the word if you just even mentioned vaccine you were going to get um uh you know you're going to get pegged now we have had a couple of strikes I will say this, this, you know, fair is fair and, and somebody's doing you dirty and then there's something in there that's less dirty, you kind of have an obligation to, uh, to mention that. The strikes do roll over, so it's not a lifelong strike. If you, they, they, they expire after six months, and I am just checking now to see where we were. We've never been to two strikes. I'm trying to see if we're at one strike now or whether we're back to just regular old you know, suppression. Studio. That's a fine-looking gentleman right there. Where are we? Channel violations. Warning.
okay, so I think we I think we've um, I think we've rolled we've rolled over because on March thirtieth of twenty twenty one I issued misinformation. You see, I'm, I I I I mentioned something that some blue haired twenty three year old uh, doesn't believe is true, and so we got the strike. But I think the strikes have gone. Now I can say whatever I want to. We got got a little cushion. By the way, uh, this is important. I am noticing that many, many, many different channels are complaining about this. Non-political channels, guys that do true crime stuff, guys that, that, that do pop culture stuff. Lots of people are complaining about YouTube censoring and pulling down channels. People who are not conservatives, non-political channels are complaining about it. That's important because ultimately YouTube's YouTube survives because of content creators, and and that means that this that this this disgust and 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 anger is spreading beyond the confines of uh, the you know team freedom, which is good news. When I hear people who have a non-political channel talking about YouTube censorship and how they have to be careful, they don't want to get their stuff pulled down. It's like saying, okay, these guys are as usual overstepping their bounds, and um, and there there you go. Um, so, yeah, so uh, I don't remember the first time I mentioned it. I remember doing it off the top of my head. I might have wanted to say vaccine. Yes, it was, wasn't virus. It was vaccine. Hey, we got a first-time chat. Uh, just testing for a moment from uh, likes, like as the waves. Did I miss a letter? Like as the waves. Congratulations. Good to see you. All right, so there's that. Moving down. Um, hail Bill. Hail, uh, hail Henry. Uh, congrats on the release of your great interview with the future ruler of Earth. Hail Doomcock, peace upon his imperial visage, or visage, depending on how you feel. Do you have any ideas on when you'll be making your first appearance in the royal court of Lord Nerd Roddick? Also, by releasing D in Dungeon the way you did, you essentially made it private. I'm sharing like mad, but you need to make that easier to find and make that public so it shows in your feed. Aha. Okay. So. I am, after much strenuous effort finding myself with a little bit of, of, of time again to do the other housekeeping things that are important that I just simply had to ignore because I I had to get this thing out the door. Uh, I am going to be opening the second channel. I have not linked to the Doomcock interview, which was done four months ago and released about three or four weeks ago now. So I haven't linked to it yet. And the reason I haven't linked to it yet because I want it to be the first thing on the second channel. Uh, I have a private channel which I use just to upload videos so I can send people links. Hey, you want to see something I just did? Just send them a link. I keep it unlisted on that second channel. And um, so I'm going to take that channel public. And when I do that, I'm going to ask uh, as many of you as possible to go over and subscribe because I, my understanding is, and I'll check this too, is that I think you have to have a thousand viewers before you can monetize. So I'd like to have the thing kind of pre-monetized, ready to go. So if I do something, it's a big hit. Like I said, that thing I showed you, the deep fake of Tom Cruise, 330,000 views for that. Right? That's, that's, um, that's, that's significant. Um, so, I have, um, I have got Nerdrotic. I've got Gary's personal email address. I wrote him again, and I didn't hear back from him. His producer contacted me months and months ago. And I wrote her back right away, and I never heard back from them, so they're running their organization more or less the way I am. 
Uh, so I'm just going to stay on that. Uh, so so here's the plan. Um, and I'm going to get into this next week. I'm not going to get into it this week. You got to cover some, move some mail here. But uh, I have, in the course of the last several weeks, been gobsmacked by a by a vision of uh, an in, uh, 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 economic uh, opportunity, a way of getting things done that I've never heard anybody do, and it's very, very, very bleeding edge stuff and it's none of it's it's all off the shelf stuff it's none of it is untested it's just putting pieces together in a way that hasn't been put together before um and one of the key parts of that model is uh the the, the trio uh the the three guys who i follow closely and who i like very much doomcock nerdrotic and drinker um, I think that is the order in terms of views. Uh, I enjoy enormously enjoyed doing the interview with Doomcock. I think the whole Doomcock thing is brilliant, 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 brilliant. I think it's brilliant. And it started out brilliant. And then when he brought in Harvey Cthulhu and his little Shriner hat and he's going to destroy the universe if he gets out, that was brilliant. And then the skull of whatever it is is even better. It allows him to do, um, you know... Three different voices. I, I just, the second I saw Doomcock, I thought this guy is brilliant. And I had that same exact feeling that I had when I first saw Mystery Science Theater, which was, why didn't I think of this? This is just a damn good idea. Uh, Skull of Cabeza, yeah. That's actually my favorite voice. That's my favorite of the three voices that he does. I know nothing about the real guy. Um, I just know I like him. Uh, yes, Doomcock, Neurotic, then first, Drinker first, then Neurotic, then Doomcock. That's, that's the view's... That's how I get it to. So, um, so the, the the Doomcock interview was really really important. In fact, it was a it was a, a uh, it was a, 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 a what's the word I'm looking for? It was a, it was a, a watershed. It was a, it was a test. It was a, a it was a bar I had to clear. Um, and here's here's how that works. When I did the Doomcock interview was an hour and a half. It's a long show. And it didn't get the views that his normal segments get, but that you wouldn't expect a 90-minute show to get the same number of views that an eight-minute show gets. And he said in advance that a lot of that was the algorithm didn't recognize it because he simply um, produces 11-minute shows and here comes something different. So the algorithm says, well, we, this is different, so we don't want that to get out by any means. But here's what matters. And this is critically important. This is The, the, the whole idea falls apart if this doesn't work. Uh, um, uh, the comments in the interview on Doomcock's account were off the hook. Crazy good. Uh, Doomcock, this is the best show you've ever done. You need to do more of these. I've never, this is the most entertaining an hour and a half I've ever seen. This is the best discussion of Star Trek I've ever seen. Uh, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And then, of course, to my surprise, lots of people said, oh, Bill's great. It's great to see him. You guys are doing great together. You should really, really, you know, you guys should really, um, you know, uh, should be working together more. So reason that's important is because it could have gone, who is this guy? Why are you talking to this old guy? Don't you realize he's a, a conservative super Nazi? Uh, all, all of this. None of that stuff happened. So I haven't linked to that yet because I want it to be the first thing I link to on the new channel, and I, and I need to get in touch with my old friend who's been trying to reach me, Buster O'Connor, who I knew from back in the day in Florida, who's a super, 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 super graphic designer. He's the guy who designed the uh, BillWhittle.com Man From U.N.C.L.E., that image of me that we use, you know, in the suit. That's all Buster and, 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 and a bunch of stuff. 
So what I want to do is I want to talk to Buster tomorrow and get Buster to do um, the graphic design for uh, the second channel, which I'm going to call Stratosphere Studios. Because uh, I have a production company called Stratosphere. It doesn't get a lot of exercise, but it's there and it's real. Uh, so um, it, And it's real and spectacular. Uh, so all of this is going to be coming, I'm hoping, next week. Uh, so we roll out the second channel. I throw the link to Doomcock um, to that interview. Uh, and then I start going. Uh, I, I stay on Gary. I don't know how to reach Drinker, but I know they have, know how to reach him. And so I'm going to work my way up there. And then, and I, I'd appreciate it if we all keep this under our hats, although it's not top secret, although I wouldn't mention it. But I would like to have a uh, an hour or 45 minutes with the three of them not public just a just a four-way um uh doom uh four-way uh call um so uh so there's that uh and um coffee coffee shinado says bill got a nice round of applause on daily wires backstage live too i, I heard that somebody uh, jeremy mentioned me an hour in or something and they said i got like five seconds of, of applause was it five seconds or five minutes i don't remember um anyway uh that's always nice to know that you know you're there so so the the, the critical thing to this kind of really a remarkable plan of mine vision really model it's an economic model that is very 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 different but i don't see any holes in it i'll talk about that next week um so so there's that now as far as white the people haven't seen the video. I did this on purpose. I, I purposely made the animation unlisted and that you couldn't get to it um, unless you see uh, Invisible first. I didn't want somebody to come upon it without seeing Invisible at this point. I knew, I knew that um, I would be. Uh, I knew I would be doing the standalone version, but I wanted. I wanted. In, I wanted to make. I wanted people to get the numbers from Invisible. The argument, right? The argument. That everything we're doing is four percent of our potential audience. That four percent's already in the club. So, so I'm going to hold off until I get this revision done. It is not going to take a long time. I've already rendered out the flaming letters and everything. It's not going to take a long time. Um, and when that thing is, when the when the uh, reshoots are done. We'll show it to you guys first, Stratosphere Lounge. And then then I'll put that thing on its own feet. And then I'll do a very heavy promotion campaign, which I haven't done yet because I started getting the criticisms about the, the sign um, immediately. And I thought, okay, before I push this thing as hard as I can push it, why don't I get it into as good a shape as I can get it into? So that's basically how that works. Um, and so that's why it's private, uh, and that's uh, the, the plan. Um, so, uh, there we go. Um, so thanks for that, Henry. Uh, here's the next one, uh, from, uh, Lynn, uh, Dennett. Whittle, I thought the Doomcock interview was great. I like that. I like going right with the Whittle, not, hey, Bill, dear Bill, just Whittle. It's, it's, you've got, you've got spunk. I hate spunk. Thank you, Lynn. Uh, Whittle, I thought the Doomcock interview was great. I hope it brings more viewers this way. Now that you've come to the attention of the future ruler of Earth, I must cower in your shadow as well. Hail Doomcock. The fact that he even talks to me. I, I, <laughs> I, 
we're both hard to reach on email. I emailed him uh, not too long ago, and I said uh, a couple things I wanted to talk to you about, and so on and so on. I got a really big idea, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then I wrote Hell Doomcock, and then I wrote uh, P.S. Um, out in my garage, I've got an old space heater. It smells a little bit of oil and burned carpet, but, you know, it, it does the job. It makes funny noises. I just I just mentioned that because it looks like it's pretty cold down there at the center of the earth, and if you, you know... I'm happy to mail it to you if, if you, you know, if you, if you can't. Uh, that's, that's, that's that's um, so uh, then uh, Lynn goes on to say, if you could grant this humbler, peti humble pe pe petitioner's request to answer a question, that's why we're here, uh, with the WEF's great, would that be the World Economic Forum's great reset and WHO pandemic treaty seemingly going full speed ahead for implementation, what is it going to take short of war to stop it and regain what we will lose? A second question, if we have time to answer it, so we'll deal with that one first. Lynn, uh, I, I don't, I have, uh, on a couple of occasions, been right about uh, things only because I process a lot of information. It's not that I'm particularly smarter than anybody or anything. I just get, I get information from outside of the the bubble, right? I get, I get it from everywhere. I just take in a lot of info. And and I mentioned that I saw the um, the grand jury hearings on the you know on the whole COVID thing, and the evidence that they laid out, hard evidence that they laid out, and that was four or five months ago now. I am much less worried about these clowns than I was then. Much less worried. I'm much less worried for two reasons. One of them is that everybody is, seems to be waking up to this. And that they are that is that I can smell desperation in them, that they got they got everything that they thought they needed, and they've got all the controls, and they, they got their election, they got their virus, and they got all that stuff, right? They used it to the best of their ability, did all the lever pulling they could, and it doesn't seem to be working. Um, Disney is now the most woke corporation in the world. And, and its stock continues to fall. I don't know if you've seen this, but in the promo, I saw it earlier today, just before I came in. The promo for the next animated movie of Disney has um, uh, a, a giant inflatable robot that looked a lot like, was it Big Hero 6 or whatever? I forget the name, and the name's not memorable. But basically, the Disney animated character is shopping for tampons for a 13-year-old girl and is asking people for their opinions and all of these women in the store start handing these suggestions to this robot, including a transgendered male. Uh, so that's Baymax, yeah, that's a big site. So one of the things that Disney released was the new animation and the new animation showed an animated character, fully animated, like a Pixar movie, uh, and it shows this the new hero there staring at shelves of tampons that he's been sent out to get or has gotten to go get for this 13 year old girl and when i looked at the comments below that i saw a couple of comments that said this is so wonderful finally people have have, have de you know whatever the word destigmatized this blah 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 and, and and it's great and so i saw, saw a couple of those comments and then i looked and it's one of those cases where you see number of views uh 3.2 million number of thumbs up 4,600. Those numbers don't match. Um, so, 
they took away the thumbs down because of the, 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 the Facebook took away, sorry, YouTube took away the down vote because the down votes were providing absolute concrete evidence to the entire world of what people really think about them and their policies. That's why they got rid of it. Because every single time they come out to make a statement, it, it's totally trashed, totally trashed. That makes me happy, fills me with joy and, and, and not just hope, but just certainty. If people were buying this stuff, we'd be done, but they're not. And, um, and, and, and Doomcock was the one who mentioned that. I listened to him on the way in. Um, Doomcock um, was talking about uh, TOTS, TOT's tune-out time. When you're running a streaming, you can't do this with television back in the 20th century because we didn't have the technology. The TV beams a signal out, and the only way you get a ping back is when you have a Nielsen box, right? But with streaming services on the Internet, you, you can tell exactly how many people have watched it, and you can tell when they watched it and how long. He said that for the final episode of Kenobi, uh, only 60%, I think 60% 60 of the audience tuned out before the end. This is the finale of a Star Wars story, and 60% of the audience didn't watch the whole thing through. They just bailed, because it was so awful. Then he said that he had, because Doomcock's got a, got a fairly impressive spy network, and uh, Doomcock said that he'd gotten, uh, one of his sources said that, that when Disney Plus streamed that trailer, that was when a huge spike in cancellations just happened, right? Just in the second that thing went out there, just this huge number of cancellations. You Disney Plus, here, here's I'm done. I want my I'm, I'm, cancel my account. No more no more monthly charges for me. I'm out. Um, so the, the you know the beatings will continue until morale improves. They'll keep making the same mistake again and again and again. And folks, you know you you wonder why is it that they keep making this woke stuff when they when they I know why they want to make it right. I I know what they want to do. I know what their agenda is. I know why they want to make it, and I know why they're in entertainment. I understand this completely. But when you ask yourselves why are they not aware of the fact that this isn't working, maybe they should dial it back a bit or something and be more effective, and you realize. This is all they can do. This is all they know how to do. They, they don't know how to do anything else. They don't know how to uh, tell any other story other than the protest narrative that they've got. And they don't know any volume to spread that message other than a raging, full-on electronic feedback shriek. That's it. That's all they got. They got one speed and one trick. And that's all they do. So, um, so there you go. There you go. Um, so... As far as the Great Reset and the and the, and you know all of this stuff, these eggheads sit there and believe this stuff. Now I've been very privileged to to talk. I've, you've heard me talking about this many times. I still haven't asked him directly if I can mention his last name, but I've been become friends with a guy who's very 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 smart guy. He's one of the guys who wrote Basic, the language. He helped design the essentially designed the Amazon website, which you may have heard of. Uh, so he knows his computers very, very well, and he also knows his biology very, very well. And he and I have been talking about a lot of things that have really opened my eyes, but basically this idea of transhuman consciousness, we're going to just, you know, we're going to put our minds into cyborgs and we'll have, you know, nuclear-powered bodies and we'll live forever and we'll be made out of plastic and steel. Not a chance of that happening. Not a chance. 
it's one of those things that are so obvious that it, it's, a, it's a case of the emperor's new clothes. Everybody's been talking about the same thing for the last 20 years, and since everybody, global warming is the same way. Catastrophic global warming is the same way. Everybody talks about it, everybody believes it, and there's no evidence for it. Remember the giant garbage patch in the Pacific Ocean, the size of a continent of floating plastic? Yeah, the guy just made that up. You haven't seen a picture of it, because the picture of it doesn't exist. Um, yeah, I, I get that too, Helios. Um, Marusha is somewhere seething and she doesn't know why. Uh, but look, it be, I, I wish them the best, right? I, I genuinely wish them the best. And for majority of my life, three quarters of my life, at least two thirds of my life, I was right on that train and I wanted to be there too. But we have no idea where memory is stored in the human brain. We have no idea where memory is stored. We don't have a clue. And the people who've been telling us about this trans, you know, transhuman future have been saying that we are now at the point where we are able to build computers that have the same number of neural connections as the human brain, and that is true. And the assumption is that when you have the silicon brain as complex as the human brain, consciousness will simply appear, will program consciousness into it. That's what artificial intelligence is. And the idea of taking biological consciousness and storing it on, a, on an electronic silicone device is predicated on building a machine that has the correct has, a, has a, the same number of connections as the human brain, and and somehow that it will it will just appear. And it's one of these things that I've never thought about until I thought about it, and then I thought about it and I realized it's it's, it's insane. He gave me a great example. Uh, I hope I get this name right. He was working with a guy uh, and uh, uh, a strati, uh, uh, uh Look for the name uh, Tim Patterson. I think that's the name. I think Tim Patterson is the primary author of DOS. You've heard of DOS, uh, Disk Operating System. It's the, it's the Microsoft uh, product that made Microsoft Microsoft. It made Bill Gates the richest man in the world. It made Windows is, is based on DOS. So DOS is the, is the, DOS is the foundation. This guy, my friend, told me the story. He was in the room working with these guys when they were start when when uh, Tim Patterson was starting to write DOS, and there was a new chip that had come out. It was probably incredibly complicated chip. It might have had several kilobytes of memory on it. Um, he went to go and pick up one of these chips from the manufacturer and bring it back, and they were going to put it on a motherboard and had a little bit of RAM, probably had, you know, 40K of RAM or 48K. Maybe they went and splurged and got 64K of RAM. But that was enough RAM for Tim Patterson to write DOS, which basically allowed the computer to function. DOS is what, sa DOS is what allowed you to say, print this on the screen or move this file or open this file. That's, all what, that's what DOS does. And... And the point that my friend Jim made to me was the box cannot create anything greater than the box. The box cannot create anything more complex than itself. And 
the analogy of this would be to say that if you put the motherboard and the and the processor and the RAM and the hard drive, put them all together, plug it into the wall, turn it on, that it's suddenly going to work. But it doesn't. Because DOS isn't in the box. DOS is in the brain of Tim Patterson. That's where DOS is. It's in his brain. He invented it mentally and then built a machine to execute it, but, the, but, the, but DOS is not more complicated than Tim Patterson or any of the other guys that were there. You cannot, the box, whatever the system is, the system cannot create something more complex than it is. And when I realized that, I realized, yes, that's exactly right. The hardware doesn't do anything. It, it can't even do the things that it's designed to do until, until somebody, with the term that Jim uses, is a very great term, willed intent. Somebody decided, in this case it was Tim Patterson, that I have an idea and I'm going to build the components that I need to put what is essentially a relatively simple idea as ideas go. And he said, I've got this idea and I need these pieces and I'm going to put these things together and then I'm going to take my willed intent, my idea, my, my vision of what this thing will be and I'm going to teach the machine how to do this. Okay. Behold, now, computers have done amazing things. They become much more complex. They, become, they think much faster than we do. But, but I've become convinced, and this is what, and this is what uh, Jim has been convinced of, is that the difference between the complexity level of silicon versus biological systems is, is so many orders of magnitude greater that you simply can't compare them. And to say that once we have silicon that has as many neural connections as the brain is to entirely miss the point, right? It's not a question of, it's not a question of the hardware. It's a question of the software. What is consciousness? We've talked about this before on the show. Right now, you and I are having a conversation. It's bizarre, isn't it? There's, at this exact moment, 67 people who are listening to me live. There will be 2,000 people, maybe, somewhere in that neighborhood who hear me talking to you right now, although if you're watching this on YouTube, it's not right now. It's days, weeks, hours ago, months ago, years ago, centuries ago, who knows? But I'm talking to you and I'm expressing ideas and I'm starting sentences and I don't know how that sentence is gonna finish. That's another thing you need to think about, right? What does consciousness do for us? Consciousness allows us to start talking and I'm speaking a sentence. I have no idea how the sentence is gonna end. The sentence could end with a green turtle that's hanging upside down from a purple sash. I don't know how the sentence is gonna end. All of this stuff is happening in real time. And this thing called consciousness is com com connecting to you through a series of symbols called language and you are decoding those symbols in your brain and that's causing you to have other thoughts and you can spit them back out in the comment section or in YouTube and you re-encode them into symbols and then I get the the essence of the idea that you just had. No one's, they're not doing this. Computers aren't doing this. They're not. They're, to say that the, this guy said, oh, there's a Google guy came over, they have a sentient, a self-aware computer. I call BS on that. I, I just call BS on that. Uh, I call BS on it because, because consciousness is much more than just image processing. How much emotion is built into our conscious thought? 
why are we watching the Stratosphere Lounge, right? Because we're watching the Stratosphere Lounge because we all like to talk about the things that we're seeing out there that we don't like. And when we say we don't like them, that means there's an emotional response to what's happening in this country that we live. There's an emotional response. So we go someplace so we can get some intellectual and some ideas exchanged and so on. And that's why we're here talking, because we're having an emotional response to what we're seeing out there. These boxes that they're building don't have an emotional response. And so how can you say that they, you have, when you don't even know what consciousness is, how can you say we're going to build a consciousness and we're, we're not, forget the entire substrata of, of, of uh, emotions. It's not going to be there. Really. When they say that, that, look, again, this is stuff that I've been hearing my whole life. And so I bought it. I bought it into it. But once, once I met Jim and I started questioning some of these fundamental principles, it, it really got to be kind of amusing to me. Um, for example, the entire belief of the transhuman belief in the singularity, the singularity is called the singularity because the theory goes, and this, I believed this up until a couple of months ago. We are building machines that are smarter and smarter and smarter. And now we're at the point after 40, 50 years of chasing this thing, where we now have machines that are as complex as the brain is, which means that all we have to do is program those little connections and then that thing will be smarter than we are. And since it's smarter than we are, it will design its successor to be even smarter and smarter and smarter and smarter. And then it goes up and there's no seeing beyond that. Once machines become smarter than humans, the, the future becomes invisible. That's why the singularity, they use the singularity. It's, you can't see past it. They're the event horizon there. There's no way to tell what's on the other side. I've been believing this my whole life, just a matter of time. It's always been just a couple years away, five years away, 10 years away from now. Okay. But when you can't even, when you, when you don't even have a, a, a language to describe consciousness, I'm not talking about computer language. When you're talking about something that's that complex and we don't even know how to talk about it, let alone identify it or, or even tell you where it is, Forget about reproducing. We, don't, we can't even tell you where it is. We don't know. We don't know. Nobody knows what consciousness is. Nobody. But when he went back to that example of, of Tim Patterson and the, the box and DOS, it made me realize that just putting the box together doesn't mean that the box is going to do what you want it to do. Putting a motherboard, a, a, a power supply, RAM, and a, and a floppy disk together and turning on the power did not generate DOS. On the contrary, that thing was constructed in order to execute this simple image that Tim Patterson had. He built the machine so that it would run DOS. It's a tiny little part of Tim Patterson. And to say that the box is going gonna, is gonna to somehow... No, it's not. It's not. And, and I haven't heard anybody ever address these issues, right? I, or we're going to have silicon consciousness, okay? That sounds cool. Yeah, we're going to transfer our biological thoughts into a silicon uh, frame. Okay. Silicon electronics work millions of times faster than, than, uh, than biology, right? Because electrons are traveling at the speed of light, but in our brains, 
the signals have to go down nerves and they have to fire off a chemical. That chemical has to bridge a gap and another little electrical thing happens. It's a mechanical system. It takes considerably longer. Light can go around the planet seven times in one second. The time it takes for a nerve impulse to get up your arm is measurable. So if these computer consciousnesses are, 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 are potential, then they're going to be thinking millions of times faster than you do. So what does that mean? You can't think millions of times faster than you do right now. What that means is, is you'll be having biological thoughts at the speed of silicon, which means that time will slow to zero. You will be, your brain will be, assuming this is possible, and it's not, but, but assuming it was, the thoughts that you will be having will be happening millions of times faster than they did back in your creaky old biological brain. And so, the entire universe will appear to come to a stop because every thought that you have, every connection you can make in your consciousness will be happening a million times faster than it used to. You won't be able to think a million times faster. Your thinking, your current thinking, will be sped up by a factor of a million. They, they just don't have any idea. It's not. And, and artificial intelligence is not artificial consciousness. Intelligence, if you want to define intelligence as the ability to recognize patterns, make predictions, and then execute uh, theories based on predictions, which are basically based on the pattern recognition, that's a decent uh, uh, definition of intelligence. Computers can do that, but they don't do it through consciousness. They do it through triangulation, basically. They, they, they basically do it by, by trying to determine what it isn't, and then running that iteration a few billion times and eventually you end up with with, with these kind of things so i can show uh, i can show ai now a picture of a donkey right and it'll and i say show me the donkey from behind here come ten thousand images of that show me a donkey with wings on it okay uh and you'll see that show me a donkey uh, show me a pink donkey with wings on it and and a, and a shriner's hat on the top where the uh, and and then the computer will generate thousands of those but we're all missing the point. What the computer's doing is not intelligence. Asking the question is intelligence. When computers start asking us to draw things like donkeys with, with fezes and wings, when computers start asking us to do those things, then you can at least start to make the case that you're getting closer. Right? But you see, you see, we just take this stuff for granted. Oh, anything we ask it to do, it'll do. Okay, that's a servant, that's a robot, that's a machine. It's doing what we tell it to do. Give me this. Here it is. Look at that. It's intelligent. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because if it was, it would be asking us questions. And I have not yet heard this, ever. I have never heard this. The, 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 the classic definition of intelligence is the Turing test, which I'm sure you've heard of. Those of you who, who may not have heard of it, the Turing test is very simple. Alan Turing was a father of computers. His, his functional designs, even before electronics were really a thing, he invented essentially how computers work. And when he was asked, how could you tell if a machine was intelligent? He said, very simply, if you could talk to it for a half an hour, an hour, and not be able to tell if it was a human on the other end or a machine, then that was intelligent. That was, that was a conscious thing, right? So, so the Turing test is, I'm sitting at a keyboard and I'm asking questions and I'm having a conversation with this thing. And if I can't tell whether it's a person or a computer, then it is conscious. Great, that sounds great but it's meaningless. 
it's meaningless. If I ask it a question that it cannot answer, then it then they will upgrade the code to 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 buttonhole that particular scenario. I'm just very curious about these things. I'm looking forward to a Turing test where I, you know where I where I go in and say, you know, uh, I don't feel like talking right now. What what will it say? Uh, it will say, oh, well, okay, come back and talk to me when you're feeling better. What else can it say? All of these things are unpredictable because they're based on emotions, and emotions are part of consciousness. And there is no attempt to create artificial emotions. So, um, uh, there you go. Uh, so that's that. Um, they, 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 I, I do not think it's possible. I, I don't even think it's theoretically possible. I just don't think anyone's really thought about it, thought it through. We're going to get through one of these things tonight. If we get through one of these things, we're doing our best. Um, there was a second question. A second question. Uh, if you have time to answer, why not? What do you think about graphic novels? Uh, I hate them. Comic books are awesome. Just a little wordplay there. I admit I'm not much of a comic book fan, but reading manga really helped my Japanese. Interesting. I would like to bring the story of Helmuth Hubner. 17-year-old boy that was beheaded in Nazi Germany. His crime was listening to BBC broadcasts, often using that information for pamphlets he typed, and with friends distributing around Hamburg, distributed around Hamburg. Hitler himself refused to commute the death penalty. His friends survived in prison camps and moved to the U.S. in the 1950s. I would like to make stories like Hubner's more accessible for my Japanese students. Yes. This is one of the reasons why... Um, I want to do what I've spent so much of your precious time talking about doing. This is another reason why I show you Tom Cruise being deep faked onto an unreal metahuman. Because to tell that story used to cost $10 million. Now it costs, well, if, the, if you have a studio up and running, it's just a, it's, it's a decision. We're going to allocate some resources to the story and we'll tell that story. That's the, the whole idea of a virtual studio. And, and for me, the bar has to be, it has to be so real that I can't tell the difference. I don't like stylized stuff. I don't like stylized computer animation. I don't like stylized video games. I, I, I just don't. It's my personal taste. Some people love it, but I don't. So I want to be able to do things that are real. And, and this story is a real story. And we have the ability right now to tell that story in, in a way that you wouldn't be able to tell it. It was done in a computer. If there are photographs of Helmuth uh, Hubner, I'm not sure there are, then we simply look at those photographs. We create a digital image of him. We scan him in, and we got him. The thing, one of the things I like most about the idea of being able to do the story of Taffy 3 when we finally do it is I'll be able to have a guy who doesn't look like Ernest Evans. I'll have Ernest Evans. I'll have, I'll have a... a a virtual Ernest Evans who's not an actor who looks an awful lot like Ernest Evans, I will have I will have Ernest Evans based on the two or three photographs we have of the guy. So, yes, let's do all of these things. Let's get this thing going and then spin up as many plates as we possibly can.
Uh, moving on, Eduardo Enrique. Greetings, Bill Wazard13 here. Hello, Eduardo Enrique. As usual, I may not be able to catch TSL live given my current time zone, but I never miss an episode live or later. Thank you. Uh, my topics for this week are, have you ever watched the movie The Martian based on the book by Andy Weir and directed by Ridley Scott? Is as hard sci-fi as it gets, barely making the fiction part. What I love about the book and movie is how it shows how to survive two years in a barren, desolate planet. The main character basically worked part-time farmer, part-time trucker, and full-time engineer. No way a gender studies major would last a day. We should have more pop culture stuff like this, and it brings me joy that you're about to contribute it Contribute, contribute to it majorly. Uh, don't forget Love, Death, and Robots Season 3 has arrived, and if you saw it, I would like to know your take on it. I enjoyed some of the stories, especially Bad Voyage, in which 20 Minutes told a, greater, told a great story of a single virtuous and moral man having to oppose not only his own traitorous crew, but a Lovecraftian horror through his own wits and managed to best both as well. Save an entire settlement from being made monster food. Which was your favorite? Best of luck and my very best regards. Thank you very much, Eduardo. Um, so we'll go through these one at a time. I did not read the book, I saw the movie. Uh, I did not like the movie as much as I thought I would like the movie and that's probably because I was just so on guard because of um, Matt Damon and, and his, you know, his politics. Um, parts of The Martian I completely loved, I thought was absolutely terrific. Right? The business about the growing the food and all that stuff was, was, was wonderful. And then there's stuff that wasn't so wonderful. I'm going to have to march across the planet to get a chip from, from um, Sojourner. i got to find this Sojourner robot from 50 years ago so that I can send a message back to Earth. It seems unlikely to me. You know, we have, we have receiving stations uh, on Earth that can, that can uh, still pick up messages from Voyager, which is billions and billions of light years away. The energy from that is just barely there. If you can if you can read a signal from Voyager, you can point a dish like that on the planet and you can pick up his suit radio, I would imagine, without any problem whatsoever. Pathfinder? No, I thought it was... Pathfinder was the name of the lander. Sojourner was the name of the rover, right? Um, so, so there's that aspect of it. Um, the... Um, There was just a, there was just a lot about it that I just didn't like, um, and I don't know um, why, but I just didn't. I like the suits, I like the art design, uh, but I don't know. When 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 he said, "Oh, I'm gonna we're gonna have to science the shit out of this," I thought, "Okay." By the way, um, this is some a conversation for Dunkock and the rest of the guys uh, on top of things. I am so tired of people making meta comments about things, right? Like, on the original Star Trek, they were in a ship and they were doing their job. And at no point did, did Chekhov have to say, this is really cool. Because it wasn't the future for him. Right? That, that, that I see this everywhere. Everywhere. This kind of meta commenting on things. You know, on this uh, Strange New Worlds, which I've never seen an episode of, I have no plans to watch an episode of. But basically you've got, and the hair, right? I mean, okay, the hair is, is what are they doing, right? I understand that he's got like, okay, big hair, but, but, but it's, 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 a, it's like a joke. And, and, and this constant kind of, uh, you know, um, oh, sorry, I dropped in. These kind of, you know, these sort of writers 
writer's room witticisms that we're going to put in, like, an, in like a nudge, nudge, nudge kind of thing, you know? It's like, stop, just stop. Um, the former Prime Minister of Japan was just assassinated, so it's not a good day for, uh, for us here. Um, but you, you know what I mean? All of these kind of wink, winks, no one takes the serious stuff seriously. And, and I guess there was just a lot of that in there. So I wasn't such a big fan of The Martian. Uh, I certainly didn't have a desire to see it again. Now we get to the other stuff. Um, Love, Death, and Robots Season 3. Uh, when I saw the first season of Love, Death, and Robots, it changed my life. It was one of the things that convinced me to go down this path, convinced me it was possible. Uh, my favorite episode from the first season was Lucky 13, which was excellent. And by the way, I've made so many comments about how how ridiculous, you know, Natalie Portman with swinging a hammer is. Um, but Lucky 13 is about a female pilot, and I bought that 100%. I bought that she could do it. I was on her team. I thought the whole thing was handled beautifully. I thought she was great. I thought Lucky 13 was a great episode, and I loved everything about it. I believed all of it. Um, and it was the most realistic of the original season uh, episodes, I think. Uh, season two, I didn't like as much. Uh, the only two episodes that I can rem and remember, the other episode I liked from season one was the, well, I liked everything in season one, pretty much. Uh, the one where uh, the, the girl goes into the creature and fights with this neural link, that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, season two, I, I don't remember much about. I remember I didn't like it nearly as much. The season two episodes that I did like uh, were um, Snow in the Desert, which, which may be my favorite all-time uh, Love, Death, and Robots episode. Season one, Beyond the Something Something, Beyond the Aquila Rift, that was a great episode. Season two, I liked um, Snow in the Desert, and there was one other that, again, has, has slipped my mind. And then I saw three, season three, and I'm like, yay, Love, Death, and Robots. And, oh, I remember what the other one in season two was. But the third season was, I just thought it was just bad. Honestly, Eduardo, I just thought it was bad. Not, not only not good, just most of it was bad. There was one or two exceptions, and I'll get to those in a second. The, the, the episode from season two that, that stayed with me the most was the, um, was the, was it called The Drowned Giant? This enormous body washes up on the shore. It's Gulliver's Travels. Um, but it's surreal and, and, and haunting and, and weird and cool. Because nobody makes a big deal out. It's just this giant, washed ashore, young man, drowned, he's dead. And he decomposes. And this guy goes back and visits him as his body rots away. It was astonishing. It really was just astonishing. Um, and very unusual and moving and stuff. And then, and then season three, you got the three robots from the very first episode of the first season doing the whole kind of, oh, humans, those stupid humans tried this, they thought their guns would save them, they thought that this would save them, the planet would kill them. And if I hear the planet is dying one more time, I'm just going to barf. And I just barf recently, so I'm getting practice. It's just junk. Uh, uh, Bad Voyage was terrific. And I think that's the only thing in season three that I actually really liked a lot. Some of them were just... Most of them were just dumb. The one they went into the, the, the temple, you know, they're like Afghan U.S. Army soldiers, our soldiers in Afghanistan, and there's a giant creature cr chained up down there. It's a cool idea, and it was 
well executed, but it's like, what, what's the point? What, where does it go? It doesn't go anywhere. Nothing, nothing. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I think that every season of, of uh, Love, Death, and Robots has gotten worse because I think the original season, they were trying to do something original, and I think in season two, and especially three, they're trying to do Love, Death, and Robots. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of gore, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of sex. And, and when the first season came out, that was shocking, and it belonged there. Now it's like, oh, okay, they're just trying to get that response again. Political Animal, uh, oh, same guy. Uh, sorry, Political Animal 87 said, a uh, different guy, said, uh, did you see that the new season of The Orville went hard woke? I've never seen a frame of The Orville. Um, I've heard it's better Star Trek than Star Trek, at least Discovery and Picard, but I have no desire to watch The Orville at all, none. Uh, Seth is brilliant. A brilliant guy. Uh, and he has done so much damage with his talent. It's unbelievable. Uh, so I just, I just have, I just can't, I can't watch him. Um, uh, anyway, uh, I hope that answered it for you, Henry. I have been disappointed. Um, and I'm hoping that it'll get better. But you know what? I don't have hope for anything that comes out of Amazon, Netflix. I just don't. Just, I assume it's going to suck, which is why we're going to do really, really well. We're all going to make a fortune on this. Uh, moving on. Hey, it's Marisha Dark, who, who we haven't seen tonight. I think is probably on a hiatus somewhere. Uh, but in any event. Um, so here's from Marisha Dark, the topic. Doomcock and Diaz for Dungeon. Hi, Bill. I see you survived your... Uh, trip to the center of the earth smoothly intact and met with our future ruler of earth as always you bring insights and linguistic repently like no one else great conversation thank you your analogy of stolen valor reminded me a lot of sargon of arkad's analogy of the progressive skin suit and i was wondering if you had a chance to watch that yet or even if you think the metaphor what i think of the metaphor more generally uh, i haven't seen it um it's a here's a uh, youtube link to it and a thumbnail from a texas chainsaw massacre where a leatherface is wearing a suit out of human skin i said that shows like picard and and discovery it, the dynamic is stolen valor these are shows that are garbage and so they're saying oh yeah well this character who's not at all interesting who we haven't fleshed out it's spock's sister really yeah it's spock's sister I didn't know he had a sister. I've seen hundreds of hours of her. Well, he had a sister the whole time. And, and the sister's actually even smarter than he is. And parents love him, love her even more than, than Spock. So Spock has this black uh, girl who's his sister. Uh, and, and, and so th that's, that's canon now. Well, they could have done one of two things. This is the lead character, Michael Burnham. Get it, Michael. Woman named Michael. Isn't that? Isn't that? unbelievably fresh and progressive. So they could have done what Star Trek, the original series, could have done. They could have taken the Discovery and its crew and over the course of time built up their own set of characters that, that were interesting on their own. I've never been a Next Generation fan, but that's exactly what the Next Generation did. They built an entire cast and crew and, and did a, 
bunch more episodes in the original series, and and those characters are original characters. They right, Data is Data, and he's definitely Star Trek, and he was built by a whole new set of writers and and by Brett Spiner. And he turned him into a character. It took him years, but that was um, that was where people are doing their job honestly. If they had introduced Data as being Spock's toy, and then they bring Spock into the episode, and they keep talking about Spock and all of this other stuff, then that would be cheating. It would be stolen valor. That would be trying to take the credentials and the respect and the love and the admiration that is that this person has earned and pinning those medals on somebody who hasn't earned them, thinking that you would get their, their benefits. That's what stolen valor is. Stolen Valor is a guy who's, uh, who's not capable or willing, or both, of getting into Special Forces, walking around wearing a trident, and claiming to be a SEAL member because he wants the respect and the admiration that the guys who risk their lives earned, but this clown hasn't earned that. He just wants it. It's free. It's stolen. He's stolen their valor. And when, and when you find out that Michael Burnham is Spock's uh, half-sister, that's stealing Spock's valor. It's stealing his it's stealing his uniform, stealing him. All of the things that you liked about Spock have been stolen and put onto this person who didn't earn it. And that's why nobody bought the characters. Why nobody that's why nobody cares. They don't care. Same with um same exact exact same thing with uh with Ray in in Star Wars, right? Oh look. She's raised on a desert planet. That's interesting. An orphan. Yeah. Wow. What about that, huh? Yep. And uh, and she's scavenged parts. Has she ever flown before? No, apparently not. Well, she runs out to the Millennium Falcon and flies it much better the first time sitting at the controls of this thing than Han Solo ever did. And then the first time she's ever sees a lightsaber, instead of picking it up and nearly cutting somebody's heads off, which is what you would expect would happen, that's what happened to Luke Skywalker, she picks up the lightsaber for the first time and defeats the um, defeats the uh, the most evil lightsaber user in the universe. Luke had to go to um, Dagobah for weeks so he could stack three rocks together, try to raise a ship out of the swamp, couldn't do it. She just decides to lift tons and tons of boulders. What did she have to pay for? How did she earn this? She didn't. She was just giving it to it. People value things in direct... People value things in an inverse proportion to what it costs them. Consider a cost is negative, then the reward is positive. And the more work you do, the greater the reward. And when you don't do any work, you don't get any reward. It's just plain larceny. And these people do this because they can't do anything else. They, if they could write good stuff, they would, but they can't because they hate it. That's the thing, ultimately, right? The reason that, that, the reason that Star Trek Discovery is so awful is because the people writing Star Trek hate Star Trek. They hate it. They hate it. They hate the idea of a, of a, of a, of a Captain Kirk. Hate it. They don't like the idea of of uh, of a peaceful, optimistic federation because you can't have an optimistic future without the left, right? 
great thing about Star Trek was what happened to the left? Why, why would we need the left when everything's working? Um, so, so they just they hate it, and they and they certainly hate the science because Star Trek inspired people to become engineers. Uh, Star Trek Discovery has sonar in space. Star Trek Discovery has the energy source for uh, for uh, Starfleet or for any interstellar travel, dilithium crystals. So, talked about this on the show before. It's, it's a great name. That's why Roddenberry was a genius. He didn't write everything, but everything had to go through Roddenberry. Dilithium sounds like it could be real. A dilithium crystal seems like something actual, right? Because there's such a thing as lithium, and the di means two of, so dilithium. Okay, great. So, so fantastic. But when Star Trek Discovery just comes out and says that all of the dilithium in the galaxy has been destroyed because one tall skinny guy screamed loud enough and he sent this psychic wave through the galaxy that destroyed the dilithium. How did that happen? Don't know. How did it happen? Unclear. How did it happen? I don't know. It's just garbage. Garbage. So I, I like the stolen valor thing because, unlike, the, I, I haven't seen it, but I'm assuming what Sargon is saying is that leftist politics are so repulsive that they have to they have to put them inside the skin of conservative politics, and wear it as camouflage. And that's a great analogy, but. Uh, the thing that I like about the stolen valor thing is is it it, it 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 implies that you have taken something ethereal and noble and just taken it and run. Um, all right. On a related note, I've already I've already been advocating on your behalf to Sargon of Arkad to try and get you on to the podcast. Hopefully, he'll re the release of your animation project will help persuade him. I'm thoroughly impressed with the final result. Been behind you since that been behind you on that since the beginning. Whatever audio rebalancing you did since last time seems to have fixed a lot of things. The ink drop intro and the arguments about Greek and Latin were also a nice addition, although I do miss the lycanthrope scene from the test pilot. Is it just me, or did his model even look a bit like Joe Biden? In terms of the ending, how difficult would it be to change the Democratic Party HQ? And at this point, I'm going to get out of here because uh, on this question because I've spent an hour talking about that already. Hopefully that did it for you. Uh, okay, uh, here's Marusha Dark again. And, uh, and here's third time asking from Chris Taylor. Uh, so, all right, interesting question, and I can feel my voice starting to go. Uh, I'm really, I'm going to have to do this twice a week. Um, from, I'm going to skip that, uh, Marisha, because I'm running out of time here. Uh, and third time asking. Uh, Bill, should the F-117 Nighthawk be considered a Century Series aircraft? If so, does it surpass the F-104 Starfighter as the most technologically important of the Century Series? And he's shown a picture of the F-104 and the F-117. One of the most beautiful and one of the most ugly aircraft ever created, uh, right by uh, one on top of each other. No, the F-117 is not a Century Series aircraft. It's, I don't know why they gave it that number, but it, it, it's just an invented number. It's completely out of sequence, right? I mean, you had the, uh, so in Korea you had the F-86, you had the Sabre, and then the numbers kept going up, 
And then you had the first of the century series, uh, which is the uh, F-100, my second favorite jet, maybe? Maybe first favorite. The F-100 and the F-16, the F-16 looks like a, like a Jaguar, the F-100 looks like a, like a muscle car. That was a damn good looking jet, that F-100. So the Century Series of aircraft were, were uh, mid-60s, probably, actually they were probably late 50s, uh, early 60s series of jets, and they were all revolutionary, and the main thing about them that was revolutionary was they were the first series of jets to be supersonic. I believe those were second-generation jets, second-generation fighters. Not 100% sure about that, but that sounds right. So the F-100 Super Sabre was a big, beefy, nasty, mean, hard-to-fly piece of thundering American steel that would fly supersonic in level flight with a uh, with the afterburner lit and was as agile as a as a you know as a semi on ice but it was fast and had four big ass machine guns under the nose and it was just cool um, so uh, the F-101 uh, Voodoo was the uh, sort of the progenitor of the F-4 Phantom. Uh, never really made it much as a fighter. It did take over a, a re reconnaissance role in, um, in Vietnam, and it did that rather well. Uh, the F-102 uh, Delta Dagger? Delta Dart. I can never remember which is which. Uh, interceptor, Delta Wing Interceptor with a, with a uh, steel right in the center of the of a wedge-shaped cockpit. I always hated those aircraft. I always, always hated them. I, I don't like the Delta Wings, and I don't like the the 102 or the or the 106. I think they're just nasty, and apparently they were bad airplanes to fly. Uh, the Dart is the 106. So the Delta Dagger is the 102. Um, uh, I don't think I know. I can remember what happened to the F-103. I used to know where all of them were. The F-104 Starfighter is one of the most remarkable designs of all time. Uh, I, I follow, I don't get to play it because uh, I'm too busy, but I follow DCS, which is a very, very good, uh, highly accurate, extremely visually striking uh, flight simulator, military flight simulator. And they recently introduced the F-104, and they've had all the modern jets in there for a long time. And I see these guys flying starfighters up at, you know, 40, 50,000 feet, and they're running contrails, and I think, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, the plane couldn't turn. It wasn't a dogfighter. It was an interceptor, and it, and really didn't. The original version had had uh, sidewinders on the wingtips, which looked really cool. But the jet had no internal fuel, so later versions of the F-104 put fuel tanks out there, the big tuna tanks on the wings, and then sometimes they'd mount two sidewinders in close. So it wasn't a terribly effective airplane, but it sure was cool. There was a movie called Starfighter Squadron or something like that, like a late 50s, early 60s film. I watched it when I was sick in, in Key Biscayne in Florida in the 70s. I was home from school sick, and for some reason, I don't know why, there was a local channel that ran the same movie every day for a week at 5 o'clock. I don't know why, but they did. It was one of the weeks, it was F-105, F-104 Starfighter Squadron, and I watched the thing five times in a row. It was great. But the F-104 looks like a, it looks like, that's what, that's the iconic jet age fighter. That's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful airplane. Um, uh, I don't remember what the F-105 was the Thunder Chief, which I think is the ugliest airplane that we've ever built. Uh, I just hate it. 
Uh, I, I always hated it. When I was building models up, I hated it. They called it the thud. They called it the lead sled. And it was our primary fighter bomber in um, Vietnam. And I just think it was a garbage airplane. Uh, F-106 was a variant of the F-102. It was Delta Wing America-based interceptor. That's what George W. George uh, W. flew in the Texas Air National Guard, I think, F-106s. Um, uh, I think, I don't remember if it was the F-107 or the F-108 was the, was the, uh, the super, super saber, what do they call that? The, um, ultra saber? It had the, had the jet intake on the top, and, and, and that aircraft, I think it was the F-107, has the coolest canopy lines of them all. It, I don't like the top-mounted, uh, ultra saber. Uh, it was going to be like an upgraded Super Saber, but it lost to the F-105. Uh, but the but the the nose lines on that thing are you can't see Jack behind you. It's not a great dogfighter, but my God, that's a beautiful beautiful airplane. Um, and then you know, so that's it. So the F-1 the F-117 had had nothing to do with those airplanes. Uh, it, it it it's not related to them in any way, um, at all. Uh, they should have called it the uh, you know the F-1000 or, or something, because it's, the F-117 the F uh, in the comment section said it's one of uh, somebody's uh, favorite planes. Um, the F-117 is, is completely unique. I'm unaware of anything like it, ever. It just arrived. It was a whole technological revolution in one package. Uh, it was not a particularly capable airplane. It, it, it you know, it barely flew. Uh, it was first-generation stealth, which relied on angular planes. If you look at the F-35 or the F-22, they don't—they're not made out of box sides like the F-117 is. But it worked. It worked, um, and uh, and it worked really well. And from certain angles, it really does look—it look, looks cool from virtually every angle because it doesn't look like an airplane. Um, uh, what's oh, what's his name? Um, Doesn't matter. Um, the fact that they got it to fly was was amazing, but it doesn't it doesn't belong. I don't think. Uh, you have blue was the name of the prototype, and they put this thing up on pole in the desert and shot radar beams at it and played around with it, and then they finally got it. Um, in the comments section here, uh, B Meridor uh, says, "I just visited the Strategic Air Museum outside of Omaha, and they have a Phantom Aardvark." And a B-57 Hustler sitting directly adjacent to each other. Remarkable because as big and and, and tall the Hustler looks in the photos, it really isn't much bigger than an Aardvark or a Phantom. It's basically a big fighter with three cockpits. The F uh, the, the B-17 Hustler, B sorry B-57 Hustler is one of the coolest airplanes ever. It's one of the first models I ever built. It was a supersonic bomber. It was so slick that the bomb had to be carried in an external pod underneath it. The Hustler was so far ahead of its time. I've seen footage of the Hustler coming in at low level, you know, supersonic. The thing's 200 feet above the desert floor. It's an astonishing airplane. Astonishing. Four engines, uh, two on each wing, in nacelles like on a 707. And um, and that's it. Now, and, and, I'll, and I'll move on here, um, but uh, I, I, re I remember thinking when the B-2 came out, and before the before the F-22 came out, I remember thinking, if you had uh, a B-2, and then and then you had 
F-117s in formation, that would be kind of our, you know, our black air force, and that's the stealth technology we have is black stuff. But then you could also do the same thing with the B-70 Valkyrie and maybe like, um, you know, T-38s, kind of that high supersonic air force that we never had versus the low subsonic stealth air force that we kind of had. Uh, I think the B-1 is an incredibly cool airplane. And, um, and the B-1A was astonishing. People have mentioned the F-111. I built a bunch of those F-111 models. I remember exactly how the Ravel model had the wings locked together, swing ring. I've read from a number of people, and I, I personally believe this is true, is that, is that swing wing wasted a, a, a generation. It was never worth the, it was, that game was never worth the candle. They call the B-1 the bone because B-1 O-N-E, the bone, but it's a, it's a swing wing, semi-swing wing. Um, I just think the whole experiment was a waste of time. I think it was too heavy and too complex and didn't get you anything that you couldn't have gotten. Well, I think the F-15 proved it. Even the F-14, yes, I think the F-14 is an iconic airplane, a very cool airplane, and when its wings are swept back, it looks like a beast, but the fact that it was replaced by the Hornet uh, so quickly. I remember when they said, we're going to retire the F-14s. That was decades ago. Are you going to do what? This is the Tomcat. This is the, this is the first modern fighter, you know? This is the po first post-Vietnam fighter. The F-14 Tomcat, get rid of the Tomcat. That's what, that's what Maverick flies, for God's sake. Nope, they just took them all out. And, um, and a, a number of people said they were uh, maintenance uh, nightmares. They were. Uh, all of that swing wing mechanism it's not just that 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 thing that has to swing also has to carry the load has to carry the weight of the airplane and it has to carry nine times the weight of the airplane right it's not like a solid spar i mean the spar on an airplane is, is, the, is the foundation it's like the keel on a ship and when your spar is broken and moving in flight you know it kind of limits what you can what you can do with that thing um it is, uh, now, the thing about the F-14, look, the F-14, very simple. F-14 was designed to be an interceptor and, and to go very, very fast and launch the Phoenix missile. And that's why the F-14 existed. The F-14 existed to protect American carriers from Soviet bombers. It was going to get out there fast, as fast as it could, and then it was going to, and that was going to drop these Mavericks, I'm sorry, these Phoenixes, and those Phoenixes were going to kill targets 150 miles away before they could launch. That's the whole theory. You had to get them up out there fast and you had to try and shoot the, uh, you had to shoot the archers before they let go of their arrows. Uh, and the Russians, the Soviets had, you know, the backfire bomber and they had a large number of them. So I don't know many, how many times I played the simulation, but here's the U.S. fleet. Here comes huge numbers of land-based Russian uh, bombers. Let's get those Tomcats up here. And then the whole thing just turns into, uh, into a giant mess of missiles. It's just here comes a Phoenix taking out that bomber. Here comes a uh, anti-ship missile. It got through the it got through the uh, F-14s now. You know, ship missiles. Maybe a standard from one of the Aegis ships has taken it down. No, it's gotten through that too. Okay, now it's time for the phalanx point defense. It's horrifying. Yeah, that, way to go, uh, Iolus. I'm sorry, I can never remember. It. Vampire, vampire. That's the call. That's the actual call for incoming missiles. Vampire, vampire. I thought that was just really, really great. Um, so, 
you know, here's a military thing that somebody could help me with. Uh, and and I'm I'm very curious about uh, about our our uh, naval capabilities, not our naval aviation capabilities, our naval capabilities. I think we're getting rapidly outclassed in this area. Uh, you know, Harpoon is a not only subsonic, it's a slow missile. Um, and so is the uh, Tomahawk, uh, uh, the, uh, the TASM, the Tomahawk anti-shipping missile. Uh, and and I, I don't know if we still have, we must. We must have... In fact, I looked it up the other day. There's a descendant of the subrock. We have a we have a a standoff anti-submarine weapon. It's a missile that goes out to where the sub is, then drops a torpedo, uh, and then the torpedo uh, goes kills a bad sub. But my main concern for the Navy, my main concern in general, is anti-torpedo defense, and I and I mean active defense. I poked around and found out that these systems are in place. I don't know if they're deployed. I wouldn't be surprised if they were. You can have all the decoys you want to, but I don't put much faith in those things. I, there are torpedoes now, and this should have happened quite a long time ago. Uh, every U.S. Navy ship should have a, a couple hundred of these things. And basically what it is, is it's a torpedo that l launches off of a surface ship and swims out and kills an incoming torpedo. That doesn't sound too hard to do compared to shooting down a uh, ballistic missile. You know, it actually seems pretty simple. And I think they have these active defenses in place, I just don't see them advertised, which is a good sign. And sometimes when I worry, I realize there's a lot of stuff I don't know and I'd, I'd like to know, but I don't deserve to know. Okay. Um, okay, I'm moving here. Uh, Chris Taylor, Bill, once upon a time, a humble convenience store appeared in ancient Egypt, or at least you did a show about it. I would like to show that episode on the convenience store and the Pharaoh to my son, but cannot find it. Does it still exist anywhere? If not, would you ever consider making something similar again? Um, I'm trying to remember what that was called. We did that as an afterburner at PJTV, which meant that PJTV had it, and I don't know if it ended up going to YouTube. It was called... Um, I don't remember what it was called. Uh, I do remember the argument very well was trying to express how miraculous modern society is. And uh, and basically what I said is, let's compare the most astonishing thing that the ancients ever did with the most mundane thing that we have here in Western civilization. Let's compare the the Great, the great uh, Pyramid at Giza to a 7-Eleven. And I think the final line, the Great Pyramid is just a bunch of cunningly arranged stones stacked one upon another. If you took Pharaoh and put Pharaoh into a 7-Eleven, he'd lose his mind. News from around the world, images on closed-circuit TV, uh, painkillers. Uh, one of the things that we did back, another thing I owed to Jack Horkheimer, um, he, there was a touring exhibit of uh, air conditioning, glass, glass, the windows, the glass on the front, they never had that. Um, put Pharaoh behind there and have a guy take a bucket of water and throw it at Pharaoh and and it, and it stops in midair? No. At nighttime, you can see this thing from miles and miles away. Doors that open automatically in some cases. Ice. 
candy bar. Uh, all of this food that you don't have to test or anything, just eat, works going okay. All of it. Um, it, it's in every way more miraculous than, than the Great Pyramid. In every way, much more impressive than the Great Pyramid. It was a great video, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, and I can't. I do know that it was produced by PJTV, which means that it went to their paywall and then may or may not have gotten to uh, YouTube. And, and if it didn't, it's also possible that somebody copied it and put it up there, but I don't have it. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I'm sorry, I can't. I could definitely do it again, though, because I have a feeling that might be in Silent America. It started out as an essay, that's for sure. It might be in Silent America. It would be good to do again. Uh, anyway, thanks for, for the memory, because that, that was, uh, I, was, I was very proud of that work. Uh, G.K. Masters. Oh, sweet. There's a few of us trying to get a circle going here. They did the writer circle. So uh, if you're a member of BillWhittle.com, you can go to the members forum and, and, and start writing your little butts off and talking about writing. That's fun. Fun, fun, fun. I'm looking forward to getting some time into that. Uh... Not a question, Bill. This is from Martin Archer, but the excellent YouTube channel History Buffs completely destroys the idea that Apocalypto is historically accurate. Well, if, the, if they're saying that there weren't human sacrifices there, I'd certainly be willing to look at that. I'm always willing to be persuaded by a good argument, but there is certainly a lot of evidence to say that that did happen, so I'm just going to have to look at that one and see where it goes. Um, all right, I'm going to do Road Rider, and that's the end of the page. It's page one of three. Oh, my God. Uh, all right, we've we got an actual real problem here, and I don't know what to do about it yet. I know that my voice is starting to go, so I'm going to read this last one, call it a night. I've still got an hour, at least an hour's worth of stuff to do here before I can go home again. Um, uh, so this is from Road Rider. Uh, so, Bill, your animation goes off, off, viral. We're talking covers, baby. Have a cigar. You're gonna go far. You're gonna fly high. You ain't gonna. You, you ain't never gonna die. You're gonna. They're gonna love you. The calls are coming in. This is obviously Pink Floyd. Um, welcome to the machine, wasn't it? I think. Uh, the calls are coming in so fast you have to hire more human staff just to help out. Even Beck Shapiro, Jeremy, and that loser Clavin are returning your calls now. You're dead to no one. Everybody wants a piece of Bill Whittle. So then what? More longer movies, screen written and directed and edited by Bill? That's the hope. You're going to have to sleep sometime and also spend quality time awake with that new rock star American wife. You got that right. Um, that leaves very little time for BWDC content. And as such, no right angles, nor moving backs, nor firewalls, and certainly no time to burn with Zoe, uh, 100 of your maniac closest friends on TSL, including me. Um, I'll finish this, and then I'll get back to that. Most people don't plan for, although they hope for, but not plan for massive instantaneous success. Well, if that happens, it'll be a 47-year overnight success story. Um, uh, after listening to you on six through twenty on the 623 TSL, it sounds like you have it all thought out professionally, but how about personally? Ready for this? After all these years of supporting you through PJTV, Declaration Entertainment, Truth Revolt, and now all these years at your own company, I'd be sad, but it'd be understandable if you had to move on. I suppose it's exactly why we were supposing you, so you could break out and change the world. And I mean that most sincerely. By the way, I put your mug over Neil McDonough's face, charging up a 2014 Cadillac ELR from the commercial. Enjoy. Oh, he sent me a... Uh, 
Yeah, okay. Here, here it is. Uh, um, how do I get this? Hang on. Um, we were talking about this ad, the Cadillac ad, that was just one of my favorite things ever. Let me... Uh, um, I will show you what he uh, what he did here, which is just really cool. Here it comes, right? Ta-da! Ta-da! Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Head's a little bigger than uh, normal, uh, or maybe. Um, uh, if that fine actor had a bigger head than I do. Anytime you try to Photoshop one thing on top of something else, it's got to be bigger. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So thank you very much for that. That's uh, that's that's just really great, and I and I will cherish that image because I love that commercial. Um, he was great on um, uh, Band of Brothers. He's great in everything. I think he's a terrific actor. I'd like to hire him. Um, so let me just answer that. Um, uh, I I. I said this all the time and I and in the middle of all this and all the work it's taken to do all this I mean this sincerely there there are not only no plans to to stop doing this stuff eventually that we're doing now I feel like it would be uh, an enormous uh, betrayal to stop doing this stuff we're, we're going to continue to do this stuff forever uh, we're going to continue doing it forever we're going to um, Stratosphere Lounge has been here through thick and thin and it's not going anywhere uh, the moving back to America has become a little spotty because I had to push so hard. But I'm going to be doing one next week. On they found the they found the Samuel B. Roberts, 23,000 feet below the surface of the earth, of the ocean rather. So I'm going to continue to do, do those. Um, I'm going to continue to do the right angles, and I'm going to continue to do the virtue signal. Um, I have been able over the course of the last year or two to compound these shooting things into so that I'm getting a lot done in a relatively small amount of time. Um, a big part of this is our editor, Mark, who's cut every one of the right angles for the last five years, six years. I used to stay here every night with Natasha till three in the morning editing those shows. And now I just tape them and drag them onto the Google Drive and the little magic elves do the rest. Um, he does the same for Virtue Signal and he, and he does a great job. He's been pulling those quotes at the beginning, which I like very, very much. So. None of this stuff is going to go away. Um, I'm going to have to become a lot more uh, efficient than I am now, but I'm already much more efficient than I used to be. Um, what I really need is... Uh, the, 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 look, I, I really think the best way to think about what I would like to be is I would like to be Gene Roddenberry or George Lucas. I wouldn't like to be George Lucas, but that's kind of it. There is... Uh, such a deep and coherent uh, and broad vision that I have for this franchise, for this IP. It's not just a story. It's it's a whole. I mean, th this office is a museum of Star Trek. There's Kirk with his phaser, and there's three different versions of the Enterprise. There's Kirk at his command chair. I got the Gorn behind me. I got a, a Star Trek uh, original series uniform here. I got Kirk with a big um, bamboo thunder stick there, and I got 2001: Space Odyssey in the background. I've got um, I've got um, 
uh, Sid Mead uh, concept art on the walls. Because these things, um, these things uh, changed me. They made me. They created me. I, I would not be this person without, without Star Trek. In fact, one of my favorite things in the whole office is right there. Uh, let me turn the camera the right way. Oh, I see what's going on. Uh, Ta-da! That's just there, right? I like it. It makes me happy. Um, and it means something to me. And it means something to a lot of people. And when it's been destroyed, that causes us grief and anger. Um, and more importantly, it leaves a hole. There's a giant hole out there where Star Trek and Star Wars used to be. I've thought about this quite a bit. And they have different appeals. And there's definitely crossover. You can certainly like them both. I like them both. But there is, I, I think there's really no, you're either a Star Wars person or a Star Trek person. I'm a Star Trek person. I tend to be older. I think Star Trek was a much more uh, serious thing than, than Star Wars and much more intellectual meat to it. But look, uh, Star Trek succeeded because it was optimistic. Star Wars succeeded because it was fun. What they've done with both of those franchises make them pessimistic and tedious. Star Wars isn't fun anymore. Star Trek isn't optimistic anymore. Um, and, and that's the way it is. And they can't go back. You can't undo the damage that's... When, when something becomes canonical, it's, it's, it's done. You can't undo any of this stuff. And I think that the damage began with with uh, with J.J. Abrams and the whole Kelvin timeline. That was the end of Star Trek right there. It's it's, it's over. Well, parts of that I like, you know, but but I mean, it's like it's over. It's 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 not Star Trek anymore. And and from the very big things to the smallest little things, it was Doomcock who pointed out that that the Enterprise, when J.J. Abrams got a hold of it, now it travels down a, a wormhole. I'd seen the movie. I'd seen the first two. I didn't see the third Star Trek movie. That's how much I expected to hate it. I have not seen it, and I never will. When I saw these guys riding motorcycles, I said, you know what, go to hell. And, and the Enterprise is destroyed again? Really? Again? Okay. No. No. Um, that was uh, it. There was, a, there was a visual look to the, to the Kelvin timeline that I kind of liked. I didn't like the Enterprise much. I didn't like the... I liked the nacelles. I didn't like the tail end of it. It looked a little, I don't know, a little fruity to me. Um, but I don't, but, but the, but the essence of them isn't there. And this is what Doomcock and, and Nerdrotic talk about is, is that, that the Star Trek Discovery and Picard, the future, it, it's, it's bloody, it's violent, it's mean, it's dystopic. The whole purpose of Star War, of Star Trek was to be utopia, not dystopia. It was the future that worked. It was the human future. Was what's what it's what motivated everybody. Here's all these different people, different races. We're not having Uhura's not down in, in, in the cafeteria, um, you know, protesting about inequality that happened twelve generations before her instead of seven. Right? She's not she's not down there banging that, that pan. She's doing her job. And she's in the chair, not because she's a black woman, she's in the chair because she's the best person in Starfleet at what she does. Um so, um, you know, there it is. And, and when that's gone, something's missing. And it's not just that we're not getting any new... It's not that we're not just... We're not just not getting new Star Trek and new Star Wars. We're getting stuff that is poisoning the old Star Trek and the old Star Wars. Killing it. It's poisoning it. 
I remember I remember when I saw the trailer for the first of the Star Trek reboots and all it showed was Kirk fighting and being a rebellious kid driving the car, you know, and I thought, okay, all right, so they're going to do it. They're going to do it. They're going to feed this, uh, this next generation. They're going to feed millennials what they've been feeding millennials their whole life. It's not the millennials fault, but is Kirk going to have to work for this? Nah. How does he get to be captain of the enterprise? He's in the right place at the right time. He's handy with his fists. He's a rebel. That's how you get. That's how you get to command starships and and aircraft carriers. For that matter is being a rebel. You know, you don't have to know what you're doing. You don't have to study. You don't have to be good at anything. You don't have to be dedicated. You don't have to give your life to it. You just gotta kind of want it, have a certain panache, and then 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 you get it. That's how it works. I'll close with this uh, argument. I was talking with Natasha about this last night. I took a look at the trailers. I think I mentioned that at the beginning of the show. Next 25 movies that are coming out. 80% of them have leading characters that are gay. All of the action movies have protagonists who are uh, strong, diverse female, uh, strong, diverse women of color. Uh, and, and all of it's garbage. And the reason it's garbage is because all of it is based on a lie. It's all based on a lie. Jordan Peterson who I don't listen to religiously, but obviously is a really, really, really smart guy and a major asset for just fundamental reason and common sense, was talking about this, and he said, um, he said, look, if, if you just leave people alone, give everybody opportunity, he said, what you'll find is, right now in the real world, out there right now, you'll find that 95% that of the engineers in this free country where everybody gets to decide what they want to do, 95% of the engineers are male and 95% of the nurses are female. And no one is standing outside the engineering school saying, you can't come in, you're a woman, you got to go be a nurse. It's just not how it works. It's, everybody's making free decisions on their own and that's how it breaks out. And it breaks out that way because that is biological truth. That doesn't mean that there cannot be women engineers or male nurses at all. It doesn't mean that. It just means that that is how the biology is that's those are the cards those are the cards that are dealt when you enter the world when the doctor assigns you a gender just randomly you just pick one out of a hat you know it spins the big wheel oh it comes out oh look look at me i got lucky I, I got i got i was i was assigned the male gender at birth out of one of the 30 that i could have been my gender was assigned to me they, they, they actually make this argument you hear this all the time uh he was assigned uh, the male gender i was assigned the male gender a long time before i was born jackson i was assigned the male gender that magic moment. Um, so, again, I don't have any problem with women engineers, and I don't have any problem with male nurses. I just want them to be good at their job, and when people say there have to be 50% male and female engineers, now you're messing around with stuff that you shouldn't be messing around with. That's when I start to fight back. And everything the left does is predicated on this idea. That's why we have the transgendered athlete thing. That's why they'll fight and die on that hill. Because if you cannot become a woman because you want to be one, if that's if you cannot become something, if you, only through wanting it badly enough, then their entire philosophy falls apart. Right? If you want it enough, in fact, if you want it at all, you get it. And anything other than that is the end of them. There's no difference between saying a man who feels like a, who says he's a woman is in fact a woman. It's it's almost like transmutation, like 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 the the wine becomes the blood of Christ. I say it, and it's true. 
I, I, I'm telling you, I declare, I identify as a woman, therefore I am a woman. This is what they believe. That's why they cannot define woman. Right? Okay, so that's what they want to believe. That's, that's their business. That's fine. But it is anti-true. It's not just a lie. It's anti-true. It is, it is information and stories and emotions and, and messaging that is designed to attack the truth. It's, it's, it's not just untrue. It's anti-true. It understands that there are truths out there and it goes out to kill those things. And, and the, the guy who really gets us the, the best is Bill Burr. I, I played this for, uh, for uh, Shelley and Heather earlier today. I, I played the, the little segment that Bill Burr does called uh, Titanic is a Horror Film. And he says, you know what? Women complain about men getting paid more than women do. Men don't get paid more than women do for the same job. I've said this many times. You can't just say, well, somebody comes in for a job at, at Target. I need an assistant manager at nighttime. How, what does that pay? Well, it's $35,000 a year if you're a male, but for you, it's only 24600 sweet, sweet cheeks. That doesn't exist, okay? You don't, you don't get to get different pay for the same job. It's a, it's a complete fiction. It doesn't exist. It's, it's illegal. It's illegal, okay? But Bill, but Bill uh, Barr goes on and says, yeah, it's a good dollar, you know, so we get paid more than women. I consider it a, a surcharge, right? We get a buck an hour extra because if the, t if the Titanic goes down, you get to sail away on the lifeboat, and I got to stay here with the guy playing the cello and, and go down. He says, women think that Titanic is a romantic comedy. Uh, is, a ro is so romantic. Oh, it's such a romantic movie. This is Bill Barr talking. You need to look it up. He says, they think it's romantic because when they look at this movie, they see themselves floating on the, on the piece of wood, and I see myself falling down through the crack of the ship or sinking down to the bottom of the ocean. And that's the whole point, right? They want everything. The female, the feminists want all of the glory of, of warriors, but they don't want to pay for it. They don't want to. They don't want to sleep in the mud. They don't want any of this stuff. They want to be able to beat the hell out of men. And the fact that they can't is a problem for them. And so they think that if we simply just keep telling this long enough, it will be true. So basically, they're look. They've got everything backwards, and they've had it backwards from the beginning. The left believes that the reason that 95% of engineers are male is because female engineers have not had any role models. It's artificially suppressed the number of females, and therefore we have to show female warriors and female engineers and female pilots and all the rest of this stuff in 50% ratio with men in order to encourage the next generation of the young girls to be engineers and, 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 and soldiers and fighter pilots, and it's not working. It's not working because it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's not true. It doesn't work that way. It's a lie. There are fine, fine, fine women fighter pilots, but there aren't many of them. And and there are any number of these examples. And I'm all about freedom. I think anybody should be able to do whatever they want to do as long as they're not hurting anybody else. But what did I just do? Oh, I moved the camera by some... It's obviously not the most stable platform in the whole wide world. Um... But it's a lie, and, and that's why nobody buys it. And since nobody buys it, we're gonna we're kicking their asses. They are in there in full-on retreat everywhere I look. What's going to be huge, 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 huge win 
And uh, here we are uh, approaching the three-hour mark. Uh, we've been live for three hours, six minutes, and 15 seconds mark, and we've been recording for two hours, 55 minutes, and 20 seconds on my mark mark. Um, so um, they can't, you know, they can't do it. They can't do it. we got a Dutch angle going here, and frickin' penguins are going to come out of the back room in a minute from up here. Or the Riddler. I love Frank Gorshin. I thought he was just great. I just loved it. I saw a clip of him in that Star Trek episode, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. By far the worst Star Trek episode ever. There are some contenders, but that was by far the worst Star Trek episode ever. Half black and half white. I'm black on one side, white on the other. The worst, worst, laziest, stupidest... The, 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 the idea of prejudice was grand. It was a great story idea. It was a great story idea. This idea that I'm going to follow this guy and kill him for the just through the halls of time and for time immortal, I'm going to kill this guy because I hate him. That's essentially what Les Miserables is, right? Les Mis is 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 that story. But but the the black and white paint was just absurd. Frank Gorshin played the guy who was doing the the, the running, the chasing, and when and when he's told that the whole their whole planet has been destroyed in this war, he does this kind of. He does this kind of Riddler thing. He, if you watch him, he's in, he's in Star Trek, and, and he, your whole planet has been destroyed. And he, and he kind of goes, like this. And it's like, it's, no one else does that. No one else can do it. When you look at it, it looks ridiculous. But when, when Gorshin does it, it's like, well, it's, of course that's what, that's what the guy would do. I thought he was my favorite part of Batman, uh, other than Batman. I thought that was a serious show. This is why you shouldn't put children in charge of things. It's a great example. The left believes that everything you need to know, you know as a child, and that you're a perfect human being until you're corrupted by capitalism and, 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 the, and the patriarchy and all the rest of it. But children should not be running things. And the reason sh children should not be running things is because children think that the Adam West Batman was a serious show, that there was nothing funny about it. It was 100% absolute straightforward drama. And it wasn't. I personally lived and died by that show when I was a kid. When I missed it one time, I couldn't believe it. I, was, I cried my eyes out. I, it was the first time I began to realize the reality of the time-space continuum. There's nothing I can do about it. No, it's a Lost in Space episode, actually. It's gone. I missed it, and I can't do anything about it. It's gone. God. But I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was real. I thought they were playing it dead serious. Nope. Because children are not as sophisticated as adults, and they can't think as well. And... Uh, that's it. I saw um, I saw on a Mark Dice video uh, just before I came in. Um, uh, it said that the, yet another study shows that um, brain science. The guy says this is new data. Brain scientist is is mapping people's brains, and what he's doing is he's showing them disgusting things. He's got them in a CAT scan or a PET scan or some kind of scan. And he doesn't know their political affiliation yet. He's got them and he's watching their brain activity. And then there's a screen up here. They're lying down and he starts showing them disgusting images, flies on a rotting hamburger and, and all of these disgusting things. And what he found was that people had different reactions to disgust. Some people were disgusted, other people much less disgusted. He then took those people out of the PET scan and gave them a political aptitude question 
How do you think about gun control? What do you think about abortion? Blah, blah, blah. And what he found was an overwhelming 95% direct correlation between liberals and, and conservatives. And, and that conservatives had a much, much, much higher disgust response. And that people who, who identified as liberals had essentially none. You could show them pictures of anything and it just wouldn't faze, it wouldn't faze them. You show them, you know, torture, death, gore, disgust. No, they don't get a disgust reaction. And, and Mark Dice, bless him, he did a great job. He starts showing pictures of all these like social justice warriors and how, how disgusting they are. It's how disgusting they look. And, and, uh, I don't know. See, this is what, this, but you guys have proved my point here in the comment section. Fiery Waco said, uh, uh, JWT Kuda says, I don't know how anybody could take Adam West as Batman seriously. And then Fiery Waco says, yeah, how can you take it seriously when you see the whole walking up the wall things? Many times in Batman, you would see Batman and Robin walking up the side of a wall, holding onto a real thin bat rope, and then somebody would come out a window. How could you possibly believe that? Of course I believed it. The reason I believed it was because they were going up. Of course they're going up. They're going up. I'm not smart enough to know that you can turn a camera 90 degrees. I am now, presumably. But I didn't know you could turn a camera sideways and pretend. No, they're walking up a wall. Of course they're walking up a wall. You're saying, how could you buy that? Of course I, why wouldn't I buy it? How could I possibly not buy it when I'm six? This is the whole thing. I, I used to hide under the cupboard. I used to hide under the cushions of the couch. I was six years old and I put, I'd lie on the couch, take the cushions off, get on the bottom, pull the cushions over me. And I believed I was invisible. Mom and dad came into the, into the living room asking where Bill was. And then they sat on me. And I, and I genuinely believed, they don't even know they're sitting on me. You're a learning machine. You don't, you, you, when you have to, humans have to soak up, human children have to soak up so much information so fast that they, that biologically they cannot question anything. They're just sponges. Everything comes in, everything. I believe everything. I believe all of it. Guy can fit down a chimney, the big red guy. Yes, he travels around a flying sled. Absolutely. No problem. And, 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 and you believe anything when you're a child. And when you realize that, Progressives are essentially children that never grew up. Then you can get them to believe anything. Anything. All right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done, done, done. All right, uh, that'll do it for this edition of the, uh, as always, forever unfinished Stratosphere Lounge. We'll never get to the questions, and I guess it's never going to happen. But it will be here as long as I'm here. Uh... There will be additional stuff that'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with you, it'll be a lot more fun and exciting for me just because it'll be new. I've been done for seven, 8,000 of these things. Honestly, at least that. Just in right angles alone, pretty near six, 7,000 of those, including the um, trifectus and stuff. So it'd be nice to do something new, but I'll keep doing this. I like this. I have fun. I, 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 I mentioned this a couple episodes ago. I feel like I'm having a conversation with you because I am. But if somebody were to look in the window, they'd just see some guy talking to the TV monitor and they'd think, what the hell's the matter with this guy? And I asked myself that many times. Uh, the show's made possible by the members of BillWhittle.com who are paying for this content. If you're watching it and you're not one, that's okay. But you should thank them the way I thank them because they pay to make this happen. Um, 
and uh, and I deeply appreciate it. And so does everybody else here on the staff, and my wife, and all the rest of us. You, you make this stuff possible. So, thank you. And um, and we will see you uh, next week. Uh, I'm not going to make any promises, but I'm hoping to have everything pretty much done. And then we can talk about this kind of interesting economic model I have because I really do think that I've managed to, over the course of the last four or five years of wandering around being interested in things, I just had a flash where all these pieces just came together. I, thought, I don't think I can find anything wrong with this. We'll talk about it next week. We'll see if we can find something wrong with it. Okay, uh, we'll see. Uh, beat me to it there, uh, Blue Martian. Uh, uh, we'll see you uh, back here uh, next week, same bat time, same bat station. Da 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 da.